Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Our originally scheduled guest, Adam Go Rightly, has been bumped to the next edition of the program, because I want to take some time and take a look at this Aurora, Colorado shooting incident. Normally, we try not to cover these breaking news stories, but a combination of factors really came together here and made me decide to uh, change our normal style and cover this strange and tragic event. So, here on the program this week, it is definitely a somber edition of the program as we pause our usual paranormal pursuits to do some extended coverage of this theater massacre. Our guests are longtime BOA Audio friends Lauren Coleman, who is the author of The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines, as well as Bruce Rocks, a lifelong resident of Aurora, Colorado, who happened to be attending the Dark Knight Rises midnight premiere at the infamous Century 16 Cinema, although he was watching a different screening on that fateful evening. During the program, Lorne is going to discuss the twilight language that surrounds the events in Colorado, as well as how the tragedy may constitute a troubling new twist in the trend of mass shootings. He's also going to speculate on the mindset of shooter James Holmes and respond to the overwhelming media coverage of the event. Plus, of course, much, much more from Lauren Coleman. Following that, Bruce Rocks is going to share his amazing story of attending The Dark Knight Rises midnight premiere in Theater 16 at Aurora's Century 16 Cinema. He is going to recount the fortuitous events which led him to the cinema, but fortunately out of harm's way. And then he's going to retrace the fallout of the shooting, including the initial alarm and evacuation from the building, the confusion and complacency of the evacuated crowd, the stunningly massive police response, and the subsequent quarantine and questioning of the many people who were unfortunately there that tragic evening. He's also going to share his thoughts as a native of Aurora, Colorado, on both the shooting as well as the city's response to this sad event. Altogether, it is a sobering and clear-headed look at the tragic events in Aurora, Colorado, which have shook the nation to its core, combining thoughtful analysis with a truly rare first-hand perspective on an evening that is not long to be forgotten. Additionally, I will note to all you folks out there ahead of time, this program is short on sensationalism, and it is also short on hyperbolic conspiracy theories. There will come a time and a place for us to examine the potential for conspiracy theories surrounding the Aurora, Colorado shootings. That place is here. That time is not now. In the future, we will examine those issues. But here, this week, 
we're going to take a look at what happened, what it might mean, and really how it affects the nation as a whole. While I am very happy with the program in the sense that I believe the content is tremendous with Lauren Coleman and Bruce Rux, this is an episode that I really never wanted to do and hopefully will never have to do again. But it is also a program that I felt that we had to present given the nature of the events in Aurora, Colorado, as well as the refreshing insights made available to us by our friends Lauren Coleman and Bruce Rucks. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Lauren Coleman's research into the media and violent acts, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. Lauren Coleman of Portland, Maine has studied, written, and lectured extensively on the impact of the media. He offers illuminating insight on the fascinating relationship between American violence and the media in the United States. He first began working in the mental health field in 1967 before moving on to his consultant work of today. As a senior researcher at the Muskie School of Public Policy, University of Southern Maine, from 1983 through 1996, he was the director of $8 million worth of federal projects which investigated epidemics in suicide, arson, substance abuse, child maltreatment, sexual crime, and other behaviors. He continues to be consulted on media and group violence topics. Coleman was an adjunct associate professor at the University of Southern Maine for 20 years and produced award-winning documentaries. Additionally, he has taught at Boston University, St. Joseph's College, Bunker Hill Community College, and Southern Maine Community College, for 20 years. He was a visiting associate professor in the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of New England in the mid-2000s. Coleman is the author, co-author, or editor of over 30 books, including the acclaimed Suicide Clusters and The Copycat Effect. His work on suicide clusters and school shootings has been covered in the Boston Globe, USA Today, The New York Times, and extensively on CTV and BBC. His study of baseball suicides has been highlighted in Sports Illustrated, The Sporting News, and on ESPN. His work has involved trainings and manuals for law enforcement officers and forensic guidelines for child abuse and suicide investigations, and dealing with the media. Coleman has appeared on many programs, including The Larry King Show, All Things Considered, Inside Edition, and other media forums, as well as an authority on Suicide Clusters, Heaven's Gate, Waco, Hemingway, Columbine, and Virginia Tech. Since the mid-1980s, Coleman has trained and consulted around the country and in Canada on suicide clusters and school violence. As noted, he is the author of The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines, and you can find Lauren's writings on these shootings as well as the Twilight language aspects surrounding them at copycateffect.blogspot.com. Check it out. Following the conversation with Lauren, we will turn things over to Bruce Rux, at which point I will provide you with his bio as well. With all that said, my friends, let's get down to business and proceed onward. This interview was recorded on Monday, July 23rd, 2012. Lauren Coleman, talking about the Aurora, Colorado theater shooting. 
on BOA Audio Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. We are breaking from our previously scheduled programming in order to discuss the tragic events in Aurora, Colorado, talking about, of course, the shooting at the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises. And our guest is Lauren Coleman. Many of you, of course, know him as the face of cryptozoology throughout the world, the man behind the International Cryptozoology Museum, also a longtime and great friend of BOA Audio. But what many people may not realize is he's also an expert on these shooting incidents. He's the author of The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines. And he's also the man behind the outstanding blog known as Twilight Language, which explores hidden meanings and synchromystic connections via onomatology, the study of names, and toponymy, the study of place names. And this is definitely a blog people want to check out to sort of get a look at what may be underlying all of these strange events. And it's a real thrill to have him back on the program. I just wish it was under more positive circumstances, but kind of in keeping with the idea of the Twilight Language blog, we have to deal with the cards that we are dealt, my friends. So welcome back to the program, Lauren. It's a real treat to have you back, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about this very, very sad event. Well, Tim, it's, it's good to talk to you. Like you said, though, it's, it's under uh, sad circumstances, but we would be blind to this if we didn't understand that it happens occasionally, and really we only are kind of allowed to talk about it when we have these mass shootings, even though... Some of us think about it all the time. Yeah, and it, this whole thing just came out of nowhere. It was really, I know that you had posted on the 19th suggesting that there was a strong possibility that something could happen on the 20th, and unfortunately you were correct in that regard. I guess give us your initial reaction to the events of Thursday night, Friday morning in Aurora, Colorado, as well as what I thought was particularly interesting, the strange story of how you uh came upon the news, woke up, uh, and, and, and discovered what had happened. Right. Well, uh, let me just back up a little. And mm-hmm. um, On Wednesday and Thursday, I started getting this notion that uh, people were kind of ignoring the fact that this movie was going to open, and so I, I wanted to blog about it. And what I noticed in 2008, of course, is that when The Dark Knight opened, there was a real wave of copycat imitations and people really is assuming the persona of the Joker and uh, doing some really devilish things, including the the Belgium attack in January after the, the you know, movie came out, in which a man dressed up like the Joker and he went into a, a daycare center in Belgium and he started stabbing babies and also stabbing some of the teachers, ended up with three people dead. Uh, and I started wondering, uh, could we have something going on uh, on the 20th when the movie opened that really would be uh, kind of earth-shaking? And so I started looking around, and the, one of the first things I, uh, you know, I'm interested in the names and the name game, but I'm also interested in dates and how dates become almost harmonic signals to the rest of the universe and, and certainly to those people that are vulnerable uh, you know, I don't like to use the word crazy, but let's say unbalanced, vulnerable, uh, suicidal, and sometimes those suicidal tendencies in people really turn outward and turn into homicide. Yeah. 
So I looked for the two major themes for past July 20th. Uh, one was space, where you have, that's of course the date when America landed on the moon, uh, you know, the Apollo 11. And of course 11 is a very intriguing number with 9-11 and uh, uh, March 11th for the bombings in Madrid. And 11 keeps coming up a lot, so that was interesting to me that there would be 11 in there once again. Then also it's the, the date when the Viking landed on Mars, and in one of those coincidences that we have no control of, uh, Star Trek's Scotty died on that date. So I had those in my head, and then I started looking at the other major theme that I found on the 20th, which was assassinations. That's the date when Hitler, uh, the attempt on Hitler was made, the assassination attempt, uh, Operation uh, Valkyrie. Yeah. Uh, and, and then also was the date when uh, Abdul I of Jordan was assassinated. He was a big friend of T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Both of those guys were Masons, and, and all of the guys that were landing on the moon were Masons, too. So you had this kind of hidden theme that kept coming up. Uh, also, it's the date when uh, when the mind control papers and documents were really released by the CIA. Hmm. So I got this feeling maybe we should expect something uh, happening. And then I also looked at what occurred a year ago. On July 22nd was the date that, uh, another Friday, of course, it was the date when the release of Captain America came about. And one of the first thing, uh, scenes in Captain America was all of these Nazis shooting up Norway. Huh. Uh, and then what you had happen a year ago on July 22nd, on the same day that the movie was released, you had uh, the attack in Norway of the neo-Nazi who went onto that island and killed 77 people, yeah. mostly teenagers. So I felt I felt something was going on. I, I felt like, for some reason, I was focused on the Dark Knight Rising. Uh, something could happen connected to that movie. I didn't know what, and so I put it on the blog and I just kind of walked away. Well, you know, go to bed, go to sleep. All of a sudden, and I really nothing like this ever happened to me before. So that's why I felt it was so unusual. All of a sudden, at 4:27. I woke up, uh, and I thought there was actually someone in the room with me. I was sleeping alone. My girlfriend wasn't around. Uh, and I was sleeping alone, and I heard this voice say, Lauren, Lauren. And I thought it was a male voice. I had two, two, uh, young sons. They're in their twenties. It didn't sound like their voice. And I, but I thought, who's in my room? Who's trying to wake me up? Yeah. So I woke up with a start. I thought that there was somebody there. I looked around. There's nobody there. But uh, the first thing I did was immediately go to my emails um, and because I wanted to know what was going on, what was going on at 427 in the morning. And all of a sudden, there was all of these uh, news alerts coming through about Aurora, Aurora, Colorado. So it just kind of uh, was a horrible way to wake up and then to find that I was so on target with something not only just happening on the date that was kind of out of the blue, but that it actually was connected to the opening of the Dark Knight Rises. I just was, I, you know, in many ways I felt that like the rest of the country, the rest of the country has been in four days of almost a, a seismic earthquake, a, a seismic, uh, you know, something seismic's happened to our soul. 
and we're all trying to get hold of it. But for me, it just made sense. Yeah, yeah. And you, you hit the nail on the head there. Something feels very different about this. And I don't know what it is, you know, maybe because it's so vast. It's so, I mean, the, the worst shooting in American history. And, and, you know, obviously there, you mentioned the one in Norway. It's like these, but here it hits, it hits home and people are really uh, affected by this. It feels right. tremendously different. And, uh, that's normally I try not to sort of, do these breaking news story type coverage, but with this one, it feels like it, it deserves a look at, at what's going on here because, uh, you know, you, you kind of put forward the idea that this, this is like the start of something almost, this red dawn idea that you introduce on, uh, on the Twilight Language blog, the, uh, red right. being, being from Colorado and dawn being Aurora, uh, that, that, that this may be, you know, the beginning of, of something dark that's that's starting. Right, and if you keep looking at several of the quotes that keep coming out, I mean, if you look at the movies, you know, there's a storm coming or there's a new dawn breaking, and then Obama goes to Aurora, Colorado, and he, he mentions, you know, out of the darkness there's a bright beginning. I mean, the, the, the words that people are using either in the movie fictionally or in the real world are, are kind of merging. There's almost... There's no longer a line between this fiction and nonfiction. If you think about, you know, how everybody could exclude the Joker as, as a figment of, of fiction and fantasy, well, the Joker is real now. The Jokers are real. There's copycat Jokers that have been all over the map in uh, 2008 and 2009 that were doing shootings, killings, uh, people dressing up as Joker. And now you have uh, this guy... Uh, I thought at first that it was going to be Dane, you know, that there was going to be something connected with the, the arch enemy, the, the villain. Yeah. The, the Bane and, and the whole Bane capital with Romney. That really is faded in the background. And, and once again, we have to deal with this red orange hair of a, a Joker copycat and, uh, and looking once again at how the Joker seems to be, uh, fundamentally underneath this. And the whole Red Dawn, I, I mean, one of the things I did with the, the blog yesterday was look at an old movie in 1984 of the Red Dawn. Uh, Aurora means, like you said, you know, I, I defined it as it means dawn. And even some of the um, the old Greek myths talk about the morning of the Red Dawn. Uh, and then Colorado is a Spanish word for uh, red. And over and over again, you get red in this uh, this drama. I mean, you don't even have to look at the blood. There's the the hair color and uh, the one woman who whose name was Redfield, and uh, and just keeps coming up quite a bit. Uh, this uh, even even the middle name of James Holmes, whose middle name is Egan, which means fiery. Uh, so you get these almost hidden messages, and I, I, I don't even go to any of these people that are talking about mind control or this was the CIA behind this. I don't even think we need to do that. I'm just very interested in kind of these coincidences that aren't coincidences that keep coming up in this drama here. Uh, like one of the things that I, uh, I, in the afternoon of the 20th, went with my uh, 22-year-old son to the, the movie, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, at the IMAX here in southern Maine. And one of the things I immediately noticed was the trailer that was there before the movie was the trailer for the 
Skyfall, the new James Bond movie. And about 40 seconds into the trailer, you see this giant building on the skyline. It's the Shanghai skyline, as it turned out. And it's, it says Aurora in bright red letters on the side of the building. And that was just shocking for me. I mean, it's like, you can't get away from these, uh, these symbols that are right there in subtle ways in all of this uh, material. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you make a good point in the sense that I'm in agreement with you here on this because there's some people that take these coincidences and run in a really far direction of conspiracy. And I just can't get on board the idea that you know the the shot of the aurora building in the trailer before the movie was somehow orchestrated by anything other than something in the ether that we don't understand that 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 that, that it is this twilight language i don't think that there's people in a shadowy room somewhere that said we'll do we'll put it all together this way i find that so hard to believe i think it's something else that we don't understand that has nothing to do with with humans necessarily or, or nefarious forces uh that some people may want to ascribe to this event. I think that these coincidences are are beyond, uh, you know, human machinations. Well, I, think we're, I think we're ants. I think we're essentially ants trying to look at all of these patterns and figuring it out. And it's kind of like, you know, if you look at the, the concept of black helicopters, if you listen to people on the right, the black helicopters are being sent here by the UN, uh, you know, to to take over the world. If you listen to the people on the left, the black helicopters are being sent by the CIA because they're neo-Nazis. So you, you can take anything like that and you can absolutely go crazy politically in the left right. And I find that those people are really missing the essence of the middle, which is that we don't understand this. We're trying to uh, figure out these patterns uh, I mean, who in the world would think that uh, a James Bond trailer would put something like Aurora in there and then have something to do with the shooting in Colorado? It's just, it makes no sense on a logical level. Right. But yet, uh, you know, in my blog, I can string together these dots, and it makes this incredible tapestry uh, that really interconnected in a way that none of us can really understand. Absolutely, yeah. And I know that you've done a lot of work looking at, as you said, uh, you know, these troubled individuals. I mean, what do you think? It's impossible, really, to get into the mind of this this character, James Holmes. But, I mean, with some of these events, it, it's clear that there's so, like a revenge factor it doesn't seem to be the case with him. The, the, the whole thing about how he doesn't have any sort of cyber trail, which is completely unlike anyone in their mid-twenties, and also that, that really does, there doesn't seem to be any clear-cut motivation for what, for what he did. It's just absolutely puzzling to me. I, I find myself wondering if we're dealing with some kind of Unabomber-type character here based on just the intricacies of all this and, and, and the apartment and all that. If, if, if he has some overarching manifesto of some kind that he that we haven't heard yet or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just absolutely baffled by this character and, and what could have driven him to do this. But I know, as I said, you've looked at these troubled right. individuals but, before. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think we have to be comfortable uh, not rushing as much as, as the media would have us want to. If you look, I mean, and I had to watch some of the, the news programs over the weekend just to 
sort of track what they were doing. And what yeah. they were doing is they, they were trying to answer this question. It's always the first one. What's his motivation? Maybe if we, you know, talk to his mother or look at his high school picture, we'll be able to figure out why he did this, which is absolutely a, a blind trail. I mean, you don't do that. I think that what we need to do is just stand back and look at some of the evidence that's being presented to us on a sheer uh you know, concrete level, and there's some very interesting things that this man was telling us. One, as opposed to most school shootings and suicide clusters, uh, those school shooters and suicide cluster people go into it wanting to die. They're in pain. Uh, they're, you know, high-level neurotics, uh, definitely suicidal, and they want to end up dead. I mean, Columbine, those two individuals wanted to end this by killing themselves, and other people do it through having cops kill them, suicide by cop. Yeah. Uh, others, it's very clear to me that this individual, Holmes, wanted to live. He had body armor on. He had a SWAT helmet on. He had uh, all kinds of things to protect himself. He then left. He left, put his... his um, you know, guns down, surrendered with no resistance. If he wanted to die by cop, he wouldn't have put his, his, you know, guns down. He wouldn't have put his ammunition down. He would have put up the fight so he could die. If he wanted to die in the theater himself, you know, by killing himself, he wouldn't have worn body armor. Uh, the, the kind of conclusion a lot of us are beginning to think is that he is a uh, early onset schizophrenic which has a whole different uh, frame on it. Uh, a lot of these other people that are in all, all these mass shootings, like you said, the workplace violence ones where somebody gets fired, you know, in a job or a, a day trading job, he goes back to work and he shoots his boss, shoots the secretary and shoots up a bunch of other people. That's hate. That's revenge. And yet in those situations too, they know enough of the right and wrong that they know they did something wrong and they want to get killed or they want to kill themselves. Yeah. This person uh, gets into an alternative universe frame of reference. Uh, they think they're the Joker. They think that maybe they're in a movie. I mean, some of the descriptions of him in, in the jail right now where he's spitting on people and saying he's the Joker and all of that, he may be on in a, a psychotic level where it's not really about, uh, you know, a mass shooting and him dying. He's, he didn't even probably think about that this is a, you know, state in which they do have capital punishment. He just thought, I'm going into a movie. I'm going into, and in a movie, I mean a movie in a realistic way, but also a movie in a fantasy way. And he became part of the movie. He became the Joker in the movie. I think that's schizophrenic. And, and you're, quite on target bringing up the example of the Unabomber, because the Unabomber was someone who did not want to be caught, uh, who wanted to kill other people, but he wanted to hide, you know, whether it was in the wilderness or behind another identity or, uh, you know, using using uh, post office boxes so that he couldn't be traced. Little did he know that in the end, what would uh, what would really give him away was his family, who yeah. you know, I knew that he was actually uh, insane. So I think uh, uh, people that are going to start comparing comparing uh, James Holmes to some of the other killers 
that we've heard about the lone nuts or the you know different things are really looking in a different direction. What I I uh, I think that you know, a lot of us we have a sense about these things. And if you look at some of the pictures of this individual on the paper, his eyes just look crazy. And everybody, you know, many people have said that to me already. He looks crazy. You know, he looks uh, like he's drugged or he looks like, and that's where you then hear some of the political theories like he's on mind control or he's on drugs or you know, he was programmed killer and all of those. Uh, and you get the comparison because people like Sirhan Sirhan or people like uh, the Tucson killer, they were in this state of maybe they were programmed, but they also were programming themselves. And they were programming themselves to be disassociated with reality. And if you disassociate with reality enough, you can look at somebody's face and not even see them. And I, I would speculate that this James Holmes guy, when he was in court, he did not even know that he was next to a lawyer. Now, I know that some people on uh, some of the victim's um, relatives are saying things like, he's acting He's so brilliant that he's actually putting on an act that is insane. Yeah. Uh, different things like that. We do have to question that in the psychiatry test, psychiatric test, in which that, uh, some people will be able to see through that ruse if it's a ruse. But I think that, uh, some of the most, you know, the brightest people, the geniuses, are the ones that first go crazy, you know, to use that word. Uh, and so I, I'm not thinking that he's acting so much as he's just really not there. Yeah, I find it very interesting that you point out that he didn't want to die. I hadn't really, I mean, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't put the words to it that, that you just did, but I find that it really interesting and, and right spot on. One of the more, uh, flummoxing aspects of this whole thing was the apartment and how he revealed the fact that it was all booby trapped, which is counterintuitive to the whole point of, of what he had done. Uh, how do you wrap your mind around that and what do you think Again, it's, it's almost impossible to get into the mind of a madman and figure out why they do the things they do, but it stands to reason if you're going to cause this mayhem and destruction, why stop there? Why why save the people who would go into the apartment? It doesn't really add up to me. I've had people speculate that maybe he felt some kind of remorse or something or that he was, his killing was satiated by the events, but, but based on what we're hearing from him in, in prison, it doesn't sound to be that he's showing any remorse or anything. So I, I'm puzzled by why he would reveal the booby-trapped department to the police right. and not just let it all, all all go up in flames. Well, once again, starting out with the premise that I don't know, uh, still speculation allows me to say two possible theories I have. One, psychosis is like a switch that can be flipped. Sometimes uh, somebody that's psychotic can actually have some uh, moments or some periods of being really very much here. And so he may have actually, not so much about remorse, but just kind of a factual, oh, by the way, if you go to my house, it's booby-trapped. Not yeah. in any any trying to save somebody. Then there's another part of the psychosis genius, is that he may have said to himself, well, wait a second, I don't want them to blow it up. I want them to see what a great, great work that I've done in creating this booby trap. So he may, in one part of his brain, wanted some kind of recognition 
for what a wonderful job he'd done in creating a booby trap, getting all of this material together over all of these months. And if it was all destroyed, it wouldn't be there. And he was already caught. Yeah. So why not get some recognition for the fact that he was a genius again? Uh, and and once again, returning to the Unabomber, uh, you get that feeling with uh, the Unabomber that he really wanted everybody to uh, pat him on the back all the time that he was a genius. And I'm wondering about this person. Uh, obviously, something's going on that in the last year he's withdrawn from the PhD program, his grades started going down. Uh, so we don't exactly know uh, mental health uh, status, what's what's been changing. But certainly, if if he had created such an elaborate scenario to get all of this equipment, to, to have this uniform that actually hid that underneath he was a joker, then another part of that is that he created this booby-trapped apartment, which, if it blew up, wouldn't be able to reveal what's really going on there. Um, and in, in the higher level of, of almost the Buddhist way of looking at the twilight language, part of the game here is to reveal the method, is to go so deeply into this fantasy scenario psychosis that you don't want to totally destroy it. You want to stay around. You want to reveal the method. You want to kind of let people know that you're smarter than them and that you can actually create something that's so much uh, on a, a higher level of consciousness that they are privileged to learn that from you. And so I wonder at some level if that's what's happening with this person too. Yeah, the revelation of method as is the, right. the classic term. In keeping with sort of the stuff you've written about with regards to the whole copycat effect, the media is kind of in a bind here, I feel, because I've heard, of obviously, the conspiracy folks say, well, how did he get all this stuff? It, you know, he had to have help. But then you see the media, and, and, and frighteningly enough, they're, they're almost giving like a point-by-point point how-to on this, on how this psychotic pulled this off, or how this maniac pulled this off. You know, they're, they're saying, well, no, he did this. He got this from the Internet. He got these things here. He got, And it's like... They're in a dangerous place. They shouldn't be telling people how easy it was for him to do this, but that's the nature of the media. That's what they do. Well, as I pointed out, uh, I don't know if you remember, in 2007, there was the Bailey, Colorado situation where a man invaded the school. He lined up all the girls. He, sh he eventually shot one. But what occurred was the media and the, and the police had so many news conferences as this hostage situation was going on. They were talking about how, uh, while this is kind of interesting and new, he put chains through the door and locked us out. He, he did this and he did this. And they were, like you're saying, they gave a roadmap for the, the next situation that occurred because the next two situations was the Amish situation in which the guy put chains through the door to keep the police out. And then what happened after that? Virginia Tech. What did that guy do? What did Chu do? He put chains through the door. So uh, the police officers and the media are conspiring with future copycats to increase their method. I, I was horrified today when I think it was, you know, one of the news channels. I was listening to this FBI expert, and he was going on and on about, how uh, in the uh, 
Aurora, Colorado situation. Uh, we on SWAT teams and FBI, we never use the the round uh, ammunition, you know, uh, uh, canister. We only use the ones that are flat because the other, the round ones jam. And they look really cool in the Batman movies and in the old uh, Thompson machine guns. Uh, and so that's that's why people use them. But we know they jam. And, and thank goodness they jammed and that saved more people's uh, lives. But the ones, the kinds that we really use are, are and he, he gave point by point for what, how future copycats will use not the canisters of jam, but they'll use the ones that work. And I was horrified because they're doing that all over again. Uh, there hasn't been this kind of coverage for three and a half days since Columbine. And, and what happened because of Columbine, of course, was we had 450 incidents across North America. Copycat incidents, people getting shot, people bringing guns into schools. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that much, but what does scare me about all of this coverage is there, you know, you hear once in a while somebody saying, I'm not going to mention the, the, the shooter's name because I don't want to give him that time and recognition. But you're standing there talking about, uh, you know, the drama, the melodrama, the excitement, the, the killings, the who died, and, and when, and, and it's not very mournful. Uh, I, I was kind of struck over and over again how the media were interviewing people that were standing next to somebody that got shot, you know, a boyfriend or a hero or a classmate, and, they, and the person was on the verge of crying. Uh, they were talking very rapidly. They were they were in a panic mode, and I kept saying to myself, "This person should not be talking to a reporter. They should be talking to a therapist." And yet the media is doing this to get the ratings up, to get their the excitement up, uh, and it's it's happening all over again, and and it's going to die down the middle of this week. That's why in my blog today I predicted. I think we're going to have a major copycat situation on Friday because looking at the pattern from the past, the copycats, there's there's almost an internal um, anniversary syndrome in humans. And in a week, in two weeks, and in one month and one year, people have, the vulnerable people, the people that really want to become the Joker again or become uh, the James Holmes will feel the need to go to a movie theater, to go to the Olympics and do something really terrible. Uh, we had a situation in Maine uh, over the weekend where a man was driving 110 miles in a brand new black Mustang that he just bought and uh, the Maine State Police stopped him and found all of these assault rifles and all of this ammunition in his car. And he said, oh, I took a gun to the Saturday night showing of the Dark Knight Rises. They went to his apartment, and they found 10,000 rounds of ammunition. Wow. And so it, it, it's out there. It's out there that somebody is going to want to get in the news, want to get, you know, uh, all over the media about, how they're like, you know, the, the Colorado situation. And uh, the media just can't stop themselves. They can't, they can't know that, uh, you know, that 
they're talking about the guts and glory of it, and they're actually perpetrating tomorrow's uh, awful headlines. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and like when we started this conversation, I was saying, you know, this feels like the start of something, and and I hadn't really been able to put my finger on it, but the thought had crossed my mind uh, earlier in the day and earlier over the weekend. What makes this event particularly troubling, in addition, obviously, to the horrible events that happened, is that this, uh, and I know you can probably cite numerous instances where something along these lines happened, but this, I feel like this event sort of puts soft targets in the in the bullseye, if you will, for lack of a of a of a of a better term. You know, I mean, I I know there were shootings in theaters before, but it was always like there was school shootings and there was workplace shootings, but it felt like you know movie theaters and malls and these kind of places were safer. And now it's like like we were saying, I was saying to people I work with, you know, you just don't know where you're safe anymore, and that, that that's to me maybe what is that feeling that's inside of me that the game has changed here now because because you could be hurt anywhere almost. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I saw the progression. In the late 1990s, you had clusters of suicide in the community. So there might be three suicides in a weekend or over the space of three months, you could have 17 teenagers uh, die by suicide. And then you saw... Uh, the changeover in the late 90s where more and more of the school shootings occurred where somebody who was feeling suicidal would go into the school and they'd shoot people. And uh, the way I explained it was um, the, these vulnerable suicidal, homicidal people decided to pick out another vulnerable fishbowl to take their violence into. And if you look at, you know, the the past... Theater shootings have been mostly gang-related, to, to be very open about it. Hmm. You know, one gang meets another gang, and they're, they're shooting up the theater, and, it's and you know, maybe there's a few people hurt. But this is a, a different situation. This is like some of the mall shootings that we have slowly been hearing more and more about. And, and like we all know, there was one in Toronto uh, just a, a couple months ago that is really the precursor to this in which somebody goes into a situation where a very popular movie with all of the seats are filled, uh, the people can't really get out, and the individual decides they're going to kill as many as they can. And a, a quote that I was quoted quite a bit by AP and New York Post in 2007, and I said that there's a psychological situation going on in which these uh, shooters are actually competing with each other to increase the body count. Yeah, I was going to mention that, yeah. And I think that we're, we're seeing that here. Yes, we have the largest by number of persons hurt shooting in the United States. I mean, by, by number of people killed, it's not the most, but you had 70 individuals shot. We could have had 60 of those people killed, but we did. We luckily, I mean, you know, terrible, but only 12 of the 70 died, but there's going to be somebody coming along that says, I'm going to do it better, you know, in that way that Americans talk, and better being, and I, I hate the word, you know, successful suicide and failed suicide. Those those really are exactly the opposite of what we want to do with shootings and, and suicides. We don't want them to be successful. But in the mind of the perpetrator, in the mind of the shooter, 
they're competing with each other and they want to increase uh, the body count. And I, that's sadly, it's almost an internal terrorism. We don't need to worry about Al-Qaeda. We need to worry about these people that are our neighbors. Uh, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse before it dies down again. But uh, I think we're just seeing the beginning. And this really, to me, feels almost on a, a visceral level. Something really important happened on Friday, and we haven't caught up with it as a country. Yeah, absolutely. It stands out. There's something about this that goes beyond a shooting. It, it is something happening here, as Bob Dylan says, that we don't know what it is quite yet. Right. And I, and I think if you look at the fishbowl sort of situations, movies, malls, schools are obvious. The one that's really right on the horizon, which I'm very worried about, are sports arenas. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's why London next Friday really worries me. Uh, you have a, you know, the opening, you've got uh, James Bond, you know, Craig, Daniel Craig is going to do an opening at the London Olympics that's connected to the James Bond movie. Um, I don't know if you heard about that, but that's kind of intriguing to me that it's going to wrap all up into the Skyfall on Friday. And, uh, and you know, I mean, it, there's always been the, the Super Bowl, Black Sunday movies, and, you know, the terrorists coming to a, a theater and blowing up the Super Bowl and all of that. And that's kind of, it is interesting. I think there's there's a lot of security at some football games. There's less security at baseball games. And so I'm just uh, I'm just kind of wondering. I don't want it to happen, but I, I really want, and I don't like the sort of police state country. But there is, we do have to not ignore that there are some people that are psychotic and that can harm other people, and we just have to be aware. Right, right. And it is also... You touched on it too. That there's there's a history of of this sort of violence uh, with, tied to the Olympics. I mean, it, it, this year isn't it the uh, the 40th anniversary of uh, the Munich massacre, mm-hmm. right? And then of course we have the, uh, the the bombing in '96 in Atlanta. So I mean, the right. the Olympics are are rife for this kind of thing. And and and, and coupled with that, I mean, I haven't haven't we all heard endlessly all year about the extreme Security of the Olympics, almost, uh, you know, almost, an, almost antagonistic in a way. Right. Which right. scares me because it's, it's, I, I presumed there would be a lot of, uh, security, but the more they hype it up, it's like, it's hubris in a way. It's feeling right. hubristic. So, we hope and that I, nothing I, happens. I was, I was struck today by the, the court situation with, uh, Holmes. The court is in Centennial, Colorado. And you just brought up the Atlantic uh, bombing with Centennial Park for the Olympics in Atlantic. And, you know, you have these names that just kind of keep coming up, and it's, it's almost as if the Lexilinks are there. The, you know, one shall know uh, one can begin the circle starting anywhere, and it just seems to keep coming back. Right, right. I made a similar connection. You mentioned it in one of your posts uh, with Aurora. You know, you've got the the infamous... Aurora alleged UFO crash right in Texas and also the uh the Aurora spy plane that that is still classified as a myth by the US government and you wonder if if there's some sort of 
you know, the, for the phraseology of, of, of mythicness can be at- attached to Aurora in a way. Right. It's tied to these, to these perplexing events that we may never quite understand, or it's tied to, I, I don't know, uh, something un- indecipherable. Right. Feels like the, the 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 phraseology that conjures up when I think of the word aurora, and and again we're we're in a situation where we're looking at an indecipherable turn of events that happened tied to aurora. So we we may never really get to the bottom of this. It's troubling. The whole thing is troubling, Lauren. And uh, the other thing that everyone's talking about in the media is you know like as you said you're not you're not a big fan of the nanny state and everything else can anything really be done about this or or is just more vigilance i mean i heard people say well if if everybody had the right to carry a gun then this guy couldn't have taken out so many people but i mean come on the last thing you need in a darkened theater with smoke pouring out everywhere is another person with a gun firing i mean <laughs> to me, that right. just that just strikes of ignorance in a sense. It doesn't everybody, make any sense to me. Everybody should come to the movie with uh, guns. I mean, yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it is interesting if you uh, of the twelve people that died, uh, a good I think it was a third of them. Four of those individuals were connected to the military, and they all were connected to the cyber branch of the Navy. Uh, so you've got this underpinning. Of you know the Aurora, the, the cyber uh, connection as far as trying to figure things out, and I'm not saying that for any kind of conspiracy theory. I'm just saying it, it's intriguing that here you had uh, this shooting was in the middle of an area that is very secretive, is very much connected with cyber graphics, you know, and cyber um, cyber communications. And yet we can't figure this out. We can't figure out what went on. It's almost as if there's many different la- la- layers of, of cyber, uh, you know, mystery in this. So who really knows? And who, it's just really compounding. And that's frustrating for people. They always want to know why something happens. And it's not going to be easy answers with this. No, not at all. Not at all. And, uh, you know, we'll wrap it up here with a quote that I pulled from uh, one of your blog posts that I thought was uh, both prescient and troubling. And you say, uh, what is fiction and what is nonfiction? Have the lines been blurred? Yes, of course they have. The copycat effect exists. The Joker is real because the imaginary villains have become actual ones. A dozen people died in Aurora. The dawn has come and it is here. We should pay attention. We have all been warned. And I think that kind of sums up really the events of last week in a, in a big way. The, uh, the the fiction has become real, and yeah. where it ends is who knows. But it's very very troubling. Yeah. Well, good to talk to you, Tim, about this, and uh, let's just uh, all be careful tomorrow. Absolutely. Thank you very much for coming back on the show, Lauren. And again, I, I wish it had been under uh, brighter circumstances, but. As I said, these are the cards we are dealt, and uh, we'll be talking again in the future. And Once again, thanks for coming back on the show. Okay. Thank you, Ken. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. That was Lauren Coleman. Big, big thanks to him for coming on the program, really, as this story was unfolding and giving us his insight into the Aurora, Colorado shooting and the Twilight language surrounding it. Be sure to check out the website www.copycateffect.blogspot.com for more of Lauren's thoughts 
on this tragic event. And check out his book, The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines. That is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Moving on now, let's welcome our next guest here on the program. He is, of course, the amazing Bruce Rucks, longtime friend of the show. Allow me to first, before we turn it over to him, provide you with some background on Bruce Rucks. Bruce Rucks was an actor for 20 years and is still current on his actor's equity card, though he hasn't performed on stage since the early 1990s. He appeared in perhaps 80 shows, winning numerous acting awards in several states. Bruce received his B.A. in theater from Loretto Heights College in Denver in 1979 and an M.A. in Mass Communications, emphasis on playwriting, from Kansas State University in 1988. In 1980-81, he performed for a year with Wayne State University's prestigious Hillbury Classical Repertory Theater in Detroit toward an MFA that was never completed. He won the first annual Jerome D. Johanning Playwright Award in 1987 at K-State for his four-act historical drama, The Grave Affair, which he directed as an American College Theater Festival entry the same year. He has written several plays since. For the past ten years, he has been an upscale security officer, USO, for Wackenhut. Bruce has studied UFOs his entire life. After the Mars Observer probe failure in August of 1993, he wrote to share his findings with several researchers in the field and with a few elected representatives. As a result, he found himself invited on ancient astronaut author Zechariah Sitchin's first tour of Egypt in the spring of 1994. During that trip, Bruce decided to write a book containing the results of his own UFO research and conclusions, which resulted in Architects of the Underworld. Unriddling Atlantis, Anomalies of Mars, and The Mystery of the Sphinx in 1996. The following year, he wrote a companion volume that turned out to be even more massive, Hollywood vs. the Aliens, The Motion Picture Industry's Participation in UFO Disinformation. Both were published by Frog Books in Berkeley. With all that said, let's continue onward now with Bruce Rucks. This interview was recorded on Wednesday, July 25th, talking about the Aurora, Colorado Theater shooting on BOA Audio, Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, we continue onward here with our coverage of the Aurora, Colorado Theater shooting with, uh, I guess you could say, a very surprising guest, but not surprising as you learn more about him. He is a longtime friend of the program, and uh, he's known primarily on this show for his work with the book Hollywood vs. the Aliens, and he was the star on the beloved Bruce Rucks trilogy way back uh, a couple seasons ago, and then people demanded his return, so much so that we turned it into an annual event and really kicked it off last year with Rucks Giving. And uh, I never, as I said to him before we started uh, taping tonight, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be talking to him uh, this evening. Uh, way back last week, and uh, the, the way the whole thing came about for me was that uh, obviously these terrible events happened last week, and then as I was watching the news on Friday, I keep seeing Aurora, and it, uh, it it just triggers something in my mind, and I'm saying, I know someone from Aurora. Who do I know from Aurora? And then it clicks. It's Bruce Rucks. 
and and then really a chill ran down my spine because having exchanged so many emails with Bruce over the years, I know that he's a hardcore movie fan, and if anybody I know would have been at that theater that night, it would have been Bruce Rocks. So I immediately got on the email and and sent him an email to check in and make sure he was okay, and he responded with really one of the most amazing stories I've heard in quite some time. Um, yes, indeed, folks, he was there. Thankfully, he was pretty well out of harm's way, but he saw the aftermath. He saw the fallout, I guess you could say, the official fallout, the law enforcement handling of the event, and really can kind of tell us the the perspective of someone who was in the theater that night and how it all went down and really the the, the four hours after the event and what he went through and, and what really the uh, city of Aurora has gone through in the last week. So, uh, you know, as I said to Lauren Coleman before we started the conversation with him, it's really great to have you back on the program, Bruce. I wish it was under better circumstances, uh, obviously. <laughs> I fully agree. And, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing this story from you. I've gotten the Reader's Digest version, as you like to call it, uh, in the email. And believe me, folks, <laughs> the Reader's Digest version was, was, was pretty long and detailed in and of itself. And, and, uh, I've been following this thing just tremendously closely over the last week, as I'm sure you have. Something about it really resonates in a big way. And I think, uh, chances are for the BOA audio listeners, They've seen the people in Aurora, but they really don't know anybody. But they know you, Bruce, and you were there, and you uh, live there. So I think it's really a chance to sort of put a face or a voice to this that the BOA Audio listeners can identify with in a big way and also gain a lot of information that maybe they haven't heard uh, yet before in the mainstream media. So, you know, welcome back to the show, Bruce. Again, I wish it was under better circumstances, but I think uh, it's going to be a very enlightening conversation nonetheless. Absolutely. Thank you. It, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, even under circumstances as horrible as this. Indeed. It's, uh, it's a strange, strange turn of events. Now, I guess, um, before we get into the whole, the, the whole night, I guess you could say, you know, what's your just overall perspective on this? I mean, this is like, your town has become the epicenter of, it's really a city, obviously, but it's really become the epicenter of this massive, massive story. Um, and it must be sort of, uh, bewildering to see, as as someone who lives there. Uh, extremely. I've lived in Aurora pretty much all my life. We moved here when I was two. Uh, I am currently living in the house that I grew up in, which for all practical intents and purposes now is mine. Uh, Mom, unfortunately, slipped and broke her hip at the beginning of November, shortly after I got back from Egypt. Um, she's been very, very well taken care of since, but it was necessary for her to go into a home, which is an extremely luxurious home. She's very comfortable there and very happy. And in fact, the... Uh, neighbor who has been her beau for many, many years also uh, had become infirm right about the same time. They're, they're both very old. She's 94, and I think he's 86, 87, somewhere oh, wow. around there. Um, but they're they're in the same place now, and they're very happy. They get to, to have their meals together and watch TV together, just like they always did here. I had gone to see her, in fact, earlier that day. Uh, when I got up, uh, about once every other week, we have dinner together for a couple hours, and uh, we had a very nice dinner, and I brought her a mail. Uh, she, she's not too far away, so I get to see her quite a bit. And uh, some family friends came by who we hadn't seen in a long time. It was very nice to see them again, and we chatted with them. Uh, I went out. I had a, I had some coffee. I had a brand-new album to listen to. I'd never heard the Pretty Reckless's first album. I put that on and was pleasantly surprised. Uh, enjoyed my coffee, got some reading and writing done. I uh, came on home, watched my Netflix. I wrote to my friends Tyler and Mel uh, in the email and finished up right about 1130 
Batman was premiering that night. I'm a lifelong Batman fan, and everyone who knows me knows that very well. Uh, and I usually go either to the midnight movies or the matinee, depending. And for this particular movie, it was it was a flip of coin which way I was going to go. Uh, if I was going to go this week, then I probably would have gone today. Uh, my birthday was yesterday, and it would have been the perfect day to go. Oh, happy birthday, buddy. Thank you. Uh, but you know, Mondays are a little bit problematic for a couple of reasons, so it, it probably would have been today at a matinee that I would have gone if I didn't go at the opening night midnight show. The opening night midnight show, it was questionable whether I was even going to get in, but like I said, the timing was perfect. Uh, I had everything done. I needed to go out anyway to mail my Netflix, I'd kind of stay on schedule, and it's more or less on the way to the theater. Uh, so I finished up my email, uh, and I told my friends, well, I'm you know, closing up the house, and I'm going out to see... Batman at the Aurora Century 16. <laughs> That's the theater I always go to. It's just it's close to my house. It's the yeah, Aurora it's, Theater. It's your hometown theater, right? It's my hometown theater. Like I said, I've lived here since I was two. I mean, I've spent you know the odd year away now and then when I was at school or what have you. But I grew up here and I've lived here. This this is my community. This is my home. Uh, I'm very proud to belong in Aurora, and uh, I love my neighbors. I love my city. I love my state. Uh, and this is certainly not going to drive me out of it or make me uncomfortable uh, any more than the obvious. Uh, in any event, uh, I drove out. I, I mailed my Netflix. I'm not sure whether if I had decided to mail the Netflix after the movie as opposed to before, whether we would have a different story, and I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, but I did it first uh, and came in the, the alternate route to the theater, to the one that I usually do. It doesn't take me long to get there. I got there right about midnight, and they were, it, the parking lot was more full than I've ever seen it. I had to park way at the end of a line on the, the south end of the theater, uh, just all the way at the end. And I wasn't happy at the parking place because uh, it was underneath a tree and in the dark. And I <laughs> thought, well, it's not exactly where I want to park at night. Um, but I really want to see this movie, and this is about the closest spot I can find. So, well, we're just going to do it. So it's packed. It's packed. Yeah, it was packed. Yeah, more packed than I've ever seen it. Okay. I got out of my car. Uh, there were some other people that were coming in right about the same time I did. There was a little bit of a line. Uh, when I got in, I noticed that they already had four scheduled uh, theaters for it, which is very unusual. Usually they have one and they open up a second uh, if there's demand. And I think once, maybe twice, I've seen them open up a third. Uh, in this particular instance, they had four theaters that were scheduled to show it at five-minute intervals. It was 12.01, 12.05, 10, 15, and they opened an unscheduled uh, 12.20 show because the demand was that high. I had my choice between the fourth and the fifth showing. Uh, the fifth showing at that time already had 144 people in it, and uh, the fourth one had 120. So I thought, well, I'll probably get a better seat. Let's just go to the fourth one. Got my ticket. I did not waste a lot of time getting in the theater and getting myself a good seat, and I got a great seat. Uh, <laughs> it was, it's my second choice seat when I go to the theater ordinarily anyway. I, I was at the foot of the balcony, uh, you know, all the way in the back on the ground floor, uh, just over to one side. I usually get a little more towards the center if I'm sitting there, but over to the side was fine. I got a, a great view of the screen and nothing distorted. And I just sort of staked it out and sat there. Now, uh, let me just jump in. Um, yeah. So this is the fourth showing. Now, the events, yes. the, the shooting took place in the first and in, in the first showing, correct? Is that? I'm assuming the first and second. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll get to that because that, that, that is critical okay. uh, considering what happened here. Uh, in any event, uh, right at 12.15, uh, the preview started, and right at 12.30, the movie started. I checked my watch. I was loving the hell out of the movie. And as a matter of fact, as soon as I'm able to, I'm going to get right back to the theater and see it through. Uh, I'm not going to be able to go to the Century 16 for a while yet. Uh, I'm sure they'll be closed for at least the next couple of weeks. I believe the police are actually releasing the theater tomorrow from uh, its official uh, cordoning. I mean, that they're actually opening the space. That doesn't 
like giving possession back maybe to the giving possession company back. or whatever, yeah. Right. Uh, reason being that they had to let uh, prosecution and defense teams and everyone get in there and take all the pictures they could possibly take. And they're going to, believe me, they're going to be at least a week uh, remodeling the damage. Um, we had, I actually have kind of a funny theater story on this, which isn't terribly important, but years ago, they had the roof collapse at the Century 16 when we happened to have a bad snow that year. And that caved in one of the theaters, and it took them about a week to rebuild that. This is going to take a little bit longer. This this built into two theaters, and they've got blood and all kinds of stuff they're going to have to clean out. Right, it's right. going to be a serious cleanup. There has been some talk that the theater won't even reopen. I sincerely hope that's not the case. I think it would be a, a serious mistake to close it. Columbine is still open. The other talk is they put up a memorial plaque, and I think that's a very good idea. I think they should do that and, and just keep the theater going. Yeah, or what about just that screen area? Couldn't you just turn that into sort of like a, a tribute, you know, don't, well, don't open the, the, the room where it happened? I wouldn't, I mean, that's what I would do. I would just not even ever show a movie in there again. Just that that one room, make that, you know. Well, you're going to, like, make it a shrine? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I guess, a tribute or whatever. I don't know what the right word is, you know. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I, I don't mean it in, like, a in a... In a pejorative way either. You oh, know, you no, know I know I mean, that. Obviously. I know that. Uh, no, actually, if it were me, I'm not sure what they're going to do. If it were me, I, I would go ahead and just fix everything back up uh, and not make a big deal out of it and try and go on, uh, just make life go on. Yeah. And uh, I would do everything I could to help, actually. I'd, be, I'd go there opening day and see whatever movie they had just to show confidence. Uh, I have not let any of this put me off going out. Uh, I go out, I do my grocery shopping, I sit in the coffee shop, I'm not looking over my shoulder, and my art is not skipping a beat. I was not in the immediate area of danger, so it, I can do that. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm okay. Uh, the, the people who were in in the midst of it, uh, that's going to be considerably different for them, and that's fully understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, no, life is already going on, and I think it needs to for all of us. Uh, I know I will feel better. Once I have actually gone out to some theater and seen this movie through, I'm going to start putting this behind me uh, a lot better than I have so far, just because, okay, that's done now. That's history now. We can put this behind us, and I've already, for the most part, done that, and I'm trying to convince everyone that, look, don't be afraid. Uh, Our governor, John Hickenlooper, got up, and he's been saying the same thing. So has the mayor, Steve Hogan, who I voted for both of them. They're great men. Uh, I've known Steve Hogan's son and daughter for the last third of their lives and and uh, the last half of their lives and the last third of mine. Uh, I'm family friends with them. They've handled this extremely well and said all the right things and done everything they possibly could. And uh, as will be evident in the course of my telling this story, I could not have higher praise for everyone involved in law enforcement or all the first responders, uh, the medics, everyone. Uh, they were friendly. They were courteous. They were calm and level-headed throughout. They were just very, very professional. And uh, they processed us down as fast as they possibly could, uh, not missing anything. And they were extremely thorough. Yeah. I already had a high opinion of them. It, it's gone substantially higher, which is hard, but it has. I just really was amazed by how well they handled themselves. That's great. Um, anyway, like I said, the movie started at 12.30. And let me give you the layout here so you'll understand what this is. Yeah. Uh, mine was the fourth show, and there was a fifth. I don't know where the fifth was. The fourth, I was in Theater 16. Theater 16 is to the right of the lobby and facing the front. The screen is, we're facing the front of the building where the screen is located. Okay. Where the shootings took place, the shooting took place in nine and spilled through the walls into eight, causing substantial collateral damage. Uh, I don't even know the extent of that. It's going to be a long time before that gets released. But I know that Theater 9 is where it happened.
theaters are on the left of the lobby, facing the back of the theater. Okay. Uh, yeah. The so almost. Is, yeah. I'm trying to think of a, of a of an analogy here that would work, but I I think people can kind of picture it in their head. So almost kitty corner in a sense, but with, yes. with all the with all you know with all the refreshments and whatnot, kind of in the center, I assume. Yep. Okay. Uh, that's all in the center. All that lobby area is in the center. It's a big lobby. Uh, so we were to the right, facing the front. They were to the left, facing the back. So okay. we're not near each other. And in fact, when all this took place, not a single one of us in our theater, and it had to have been at the quietest scene in the damn movie, because there, there was no dialogue, it was really quiet, there's no music, uh, and there's, there's probably no other spot in the entire movie that could say that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was right about ten minutes in, and we were at a scene where it was like that, um, and the fire alarm went off. I was sitting right next to the damn fire alarm. I rolled my head over, I looked at it, and I said out loud, oh, fuck me. <laughs> I've been going to that theater for 15 years since it opened, and I've never heard an alarm go off there. I thought, of all the goddamn nights, it's some fucking Yahoo has to pull the fire alarm. I've got the best seat in town for the hottest ticket in town. I'm very comfortable. I've had a great day, and some fucking Yahoo has just ruined it for me. Right. Now, how, uh, how, 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 you said the movie started at 1230, so how deep into the... Say about how long? Ten minutes. Okay, okay. You might have said that uh, already. I might have missed it, but go on. That actually tallied perfectly with the police report. And when I first was hearing things, they were saying it happened shortly after midnight. And I was telling everyone that I was talking to that it had to have been right about 1240. I didn't check my watch, but it, had been, it was about ten minutes into the movie. And as it was, I think they said it happened at 1239. So I was about a minute off. All of us just kind of stayed in place for a moment. I'm sure we were all hoping the same thing, which was they're going to say this is a false alarm, uh, disregard, blah, 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 or they were going to say what they did say. Uh, they got on the PA just a few seconds later and said, uh, there's been an emergency in the building, and please make it to the nearest emergency exit, uh, try not to exit through the lobby, or words to that effect. Uh, I happened to be very close to the emergency exit where I was seated, it took me all of about 10 seconds to casually make my way to the emergency exit, and out the front, where it's right beneath the screen, uh, and to the left of the screen, and okay. I went out through that. And uh, from that particular exit, I was right on the sidewalk in front of the theater uh, to the left of the lobby. So, and there are a whole lot of us out there, and more filling out. Now, understand a couple of things here. Uh, we're all putting this together after the fact. None of us knew anything at the time. Right. None of us knew a damn thing. It took quite a while for us to figure out what the hell was going on. Uh, putting it together after the fact, we zigged, and that guy zagged. If he had come the other way, if he had decided to hit the front of the theater <laughs> and kick in that door, I would have been right in the line of fire. Right. Uh, I probably would have been one of the first people shot. Uh, instead, he hit the back of the building on the other side and kicked in that emergency door, and they got all the hell. Right. Now, you so, say kicked in. I was under the impression that he that he snuck out, pretend he had a phone call, went out through the door, and propped it open somehow. Oh, that could be the case. I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, I just didn't know if you... If you we're finding more. out... What, anything that I know about what happened, I found out the same place that you found out, which is either from the net or from the news. Okay. We were not told anything. Uh, but I just wanted to make clear, I'm just lucky, and right. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, I'm very thankful that, thank God I... I dropped my Netflix off before. Uh, if I'd gotten to the theater earlier, I might have been over on the other side and we could have a whole different story. In fact, we might not have a story at all. I might not be here to tell it. And if I was here to tell it, I guarantee you I would not have been in shape too for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, these people are going to be a long time recovering and our heart goes out to all of them. Obviously, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's just a nightmare. From their point of view, I can't imagine. 
Uh, I've been busy reconstructing it in my head the same way that everyone else is, I'm sure, and it, I would have been scared shitless. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. In any event, for us, quietest scene in the movie. None of us heard a gunshot. None of us heard anything. We go out into the front of the theater, and we're all just milling about, looking at each other's pointed heads. We got our <laughs> thumbs up our butts. We have no idea why the hell they've called us all out here. <laughs> I suppose we're wondering why you called us all here. And there's no one there to tell us. Uh, there's no panic. No one is running around. There is not a drop of blood. Uh, the only things that I notice that are out of place, I would say that the the emotional level of everyone present, collectively, uh, slight apprehension, uh, no real fear. We're, we're a little curious. Uh, apprehensive, I think, would be the best word. Okay. Uh, possibly, there might have been a couple that were anxious, I don't know, but the feeling I got was apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my initial thought was, okay, probably some joker just pulled a damned alarm and here we all are. Then I see about four police cars have already arrived. This by itself is not strange. Uh, the police uh, the police department is literally just about a minute down the street. So it's not too surprising to see them there. So first thought, okay, probably not a false alarm. Possibly somebody called in a bomb threat. That does happen occasionally, uh, in which case they have to take it seriously and evacuate everybody. They've got no choice. Uh, if that is the case, they're going to check it out. One or two things will happen. They'll send us all home. Uh, they'll... They'll give us a refund or tell us how we get one, give us a voucher, uh, or conceivably, if it's something slightly less serious than that, they might even uh, let us back in with the movie in progress or requeue it or who knows. We don't know. No one's told us anything. And in fact, there are, I don't know, about 10 employees at the theater just right out in front of the lobby kind of congregated there themselves, and they don't seem to know what's going on. Uh, none of us are asking them. We figure someone's going to tell us whenever they know. <laughs> right, right. We just have no clue. But no one is frightened is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. There's no sign that anything is wrong except that we have about four police cars actually kind of unobtrusive at the beginning. That was to change quickly. Police started arriving in record number pretty fast. Uh, I would say probably a couple of dozen cars managed to drive out of there before the, the cordon and the quarantine were thrown up. I did not make an attempt to do that for two reasons. One, well, three, actually. I didn't think that whatever was going on was, was that serious. There was probably something something important was going on, but probably not that serious. Uh, and they were probably going to uh, take care of our tickets or let us know what we were – they were going to let us know what was happening sometime soon, and I wanted right. to get that resolved. Uh, the other reason was I was parked so far out to the end of the south line, and everyone that was getting in their cars was queued up way back there, that if I got into my car, they're all in front of my car. First, I'd have to wait for an opening to get in, and and then it would take me about 20 minutes to get to the exit. Right. Now, because... I, I want to jump in, because this part did stand out to me, and I I, I, I mean, the likely chance we'll get into this later, but I, I stand pretty strongly against some conspiracy aspect behind all of this. No. No, I'm sure there's no conspiracy aspect. Um, Listen, but I'm the, the guy that wrote about UFOs, and I'm a skeptical about a lot of government agencies as every as my readers and, and listeners to your show, uh, which is why I, I really need to specify everyone involved with this. I'm sure Homeland Security was there. I didn't see any particular outfits saying so. FBI was there. SWAT was there. Police choppers. Uh, fire department. Police from every single county in the state. I stopped trying to count police cars after a while and just read the doors. <laughs> uh, we had, uh, the first one I saw was Littleton. Oh, Littleton. Okay, well, that's a suburb a bit uh, south of us. I, I've worked in Littleton a couple of times. Uh, glad to see you guys out here. A bit far for you, isn't it, old Parker? A little bit closer, but uh, on the 
themselves. Broomfield's just this side of Boulder, way the hell out to the west, close to the mountains. Uh, I see they woke you up and got you out here. This is where we're starting to recognize we're in something really fucking serious here. Right. Now, let me just jump in, because the, the point I wanted to make is, uh, you say some people drove away. Yes. The, the conspiratorial mind of people are going to jump on that, but I, I, I presume that this wasn't any sort of getaway. This was just people who had been pushed out. Maybe their movie was really almost over, or the movie they were watching sucked, and they were like, you know what, fuck this, let's just go, you know. Possible. <laughs> you know. Or they were just tired of milling about, recognizing that nothing was, was happening or being done, uh, and so they decided to just get in their cars and go. The police didn't tell anyone not to leave. Right, uh, right, right. So there wasn't, this isn't some sort of, like, getaway situation. There isn't, there isn't like, a situation where there was someone getting away, you don't, you don't think. No. I'm reasonably certain that that is not the case. I'm okay. pretty sure the police feel the same way, but I'm sure that will come out now that the smoke's cleared. Uh, I don't see a conspiratorial angle in this. Uh, I, I will be very interested, as I'm sure everyone else will be, in getting particulars and details. Right. I just wanted to sort of clarify that, because if, if we leave it hanging, then there's always the... And they're going to wonder, yeah. There's the puzzle piece that someone else out there is going to take out of context and put into their theory, and I wanted oh. to make sure we address that as we go along. That's all. Yeah, absolutely, and it's a good thing that we do. Now, the impression I got, these people just finally got bored of standing around and decided, well, I might as well get to my car and go home. Um, okay, so how long have you been waiting out there now? You know, to, uh, you, you mentioned that you saw some people. It start, You started to sort of get an idea. Where there was a guy who had his eyes were all affected by the gas, and there was a girl who was pretty frantic. So Within the first five minutes. Okay. We are just milling about in the front. Uh, the first thing I noticed, there were two girls who were standing pretty close to me, just, you know, at the front of the theater. They were in tears. They were not hysterical. Uh, they were just in tears. They were obviously upset about something. And um, I noticed they hugged each other a couple of times, and one of them just kind of stood off to herself for a brief time, staring at the theater and saying, I have to talk to someone. I have to talk to someone. She just kept saying it over and over and over again, and she, her eyes were sort of vacant. And a couple of us went over to her and, and tried to talk to her, but she obviously wasn't hearing us. Uh, and at one point she said, he's still in there. She gave a name which I, I won't give out. I am happy to say that I have not heard that name on the list of fatalities. Uh, I am assuming that that guy is probably injured, and I hope that he's all right. And uh, I will look forward to seeing the list when that's released, and I, I certainly hope that he's okay. But she gave a name, and she said, he's still in there. I've got to talk to someone. He's still in there. Uh, so we tried to assure her, said, look, the police are here. And whatever's going on, they'll take care of it. They'll get him out. Everything will be okay. I'm certain she did not hear a word that we said. She ended up just kind of wandering off uh, and joining her other friend, and she was even past crying at that point. She just looked stunned. I'm sure she was in shock. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and again, we did not know what had gone down. Now, right at the same time, I turn around from seeing her, and there's a guy right behind me at the just outside of the lobby. The lobby, by the way, was empty throughout all of this, uh, except for police who uh, were not running, were not even walking fast. They were just efficiently and quickly getting to where they needed to go, going in and out. Um, there was no sign of panic, no sign of extreme urgency. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They were calm, cool, collected, and, and it was contagious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad they were like that because it was contagious. I turn around and here's this guy who, I don't know, he's some teenager, uh, seems like a nice enough guy, he got kind of longer hair, his, his eyes are a little red and watery. He's got a very slight wheeze to him and he's coughing a little bit, but his voice is strong and he appears perfectly healthy. And he just says something about someone setting off a smoke bomb in the theater. And as he's telling us, he says, well, I think now it's probably tear gas because I can taste something in the back of my throat. It doesn't 
tear gas. And just from looking at him, I could, I was assuming he's probably right. Uh, very shortly after that, I heard someone say something about a gun. Uh, no different than I just said it. They didn't say, gun! You know, no, yelling, <laughs> yeah. no screaming, nothing like that. They, someone just said something about a gun. Now, we don't want to play the telephone game, and I think that's why no one's really asking what's happening yet. Yeah. Uh, but the thought that's going through my head then is, okay, we didn't have an armed robbery. We probably had some fucking nut, some gangbanger went in there with a gun, fired off a couple shots, scared the shit out of everyone, set off a bomb, or I mean a, a tear gas canister. Um and and scared the shit out of the theater. That's right, what I thought. right, like an extreme form of pranksterism, if you will, or yeah. that's a you know that, that's even a light you know I can't find the right words for it, but just troublemaking in, in, in an extreme fashion, if you will. Yeah. Or alternately, the idiot actually shot somebody. Maybe he actually shot one or two people in there, uh, and we've probably got half the theater afraid to move, and the police with a potential hostage situation trying to talk this guy down. That's what's going through my head at this point. Okay. And I don't know what's going through everyone else's head. We're not congregating and saying, whoa, what do you suppose is going on here? We're, we're just waiting to be told anything. We're all just kind of standing there either talking in the, in the groups of people that they came with uh, and mostly about, uh, so uh, you need to do the laundry now or did you do your grocery shopping lately? It's just, just chit-chat. Right, right, we, right. We do not know there's something extremely serious happening here. But more and more cars are arriving. Uh about the time that the first fire engine arrived, which, I don't know, it was maybe five, ten minutes into it, um, more police cars were certainly beginning to arrive, and they're parking along every available spot along the street, anywhere they can, which is at the point where the only close exit, like where my car was parked and where most of the people were leaving from, uh, you could only get out through a single-line queue, and it was taking a long time for them to get out, just like one at a time, very slowly, having to get past all these vehicles arriving. Uh, I was standing by that exit. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just go back to the lobby. We're standing in front of the lobby. I've seen the girls crying. Uh, we had the guy talk about the tear gas, something about a gun. All right, well, we're still just standing around front. We've still got employees from the theater just kind of milled about front, not knowing what's going on either, to all appearances. Uh, about another five minutes go by, maybe, and I hear someone say gun a little more loudly. <laughs> With more urgency. And at that point was the only thing that could be be akin to a panic the entire night. Uh, All of us just kind of scrambled to the nearest car. Uh, I happened to be near a big SUV, so I just just kind of darted behind that and and stayed put. Because the impression was, idiot running out with a gun. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, So we all just kind of scrambled for cover real quick. And then it was over, just that fast, about as fast as I said it. I hung out there for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, and, you know, kind of look out. Nothing wrong here. Nothing to see here. Nothing's going on. No, I'm not running out with a gun. But the same thought goes through my head that apparently went through everyone else's head, and I'm thinking, you know, a nut could come running out of here with a gun in a <laughs> second. Maybe we ought to roll back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, at the same time that I'm praising everyone else, I got a pat all of us on the back, too. The crowd was really, really good. <laughs> we were very well behaved, and we instinctively did everything right. I think the only reason that the police didn't say, hurt over here, or do this, or do that, is because they didn't need to. There was a massive number of us, there were hundreds of us out here, and we all seemed to instinctively know where we needed to be. So, after we had this brief little scare, it was just a few seconds, uh, we all just kind of started moving back toward the back of the lot, around the sidewalk. So the furthest people forward at this time, any of us who are civilians, there's a, a sidewalk that's up a little ways from the parking lot, the main parking lot, and there's a, a slope there with some grass. So we have a few people sitting on the slope uh, and a couple
pictures with their, their cell phones or what have you. Um, this is, and other people talking on their cell phones, and, and God knows what they're talking about or who they're talking to. Right. Um, so I just went to the sidewalk and stood at the corner, uh, which is a, a good enough distance away from the lobby that I don't have to worry about anything. If someone comes running out, I'm going to see them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, You're in front of the in. building here. This, That's all, right. this is all going on in front of the building. That's right. I'm still in front of the building, but I'm to the corner on the sidewalk, uh, right where the cars are exiting. I'm not there for very long, probably another five or ten minutes when... Uh, the police pull a car up in front, and I was there and could hear, uh, I could hear them telling this one lady who had just been stopped, saying, we have to stop you, you can't leave now. Um, it had already occurred to me, because I'm not stupid, and I'm sure it had occurred to many other people there too, there was a fair chance that uh, we were going to be cordoned off and or quarantined, because whatever was going on here was pretty damn serious. Yeah. Uh, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I the, think the, you in the in the original thing you said that was about twenty minutes in when the, when it sort of that dawned on right. Yeah, yeah. twenty thirty minutes okay. in that neck of the woods. Yeah, and probably a couple dozen cars had left by that time. It was another two hours before the police told us what I had already figured out. But I'll, I'll build to that. Uh, we're standing off to the side. I'm just standing here ten fifteen minutes uh, with my worried face on, my concerned face, looking at this theater, thinking the hell happened here, and I know everyone else is doing the same thing. Right. I notice at one point, I don't remember when, uh, I just kind of looked to the right, and there's a guy standing close enough for me to reach out and shake hands with, wearing a flak jacket and holding an AR-15. Oh, wow. Uh, not long after that, I see bomb-sniffing dogs. And the second I saw the bomb-sniffing dogs, that's when I knew we were going to be here for the duration. We're not going anywhere. We have been quarantined. The word has not been used yet. But I know. I've worked security the last quarter of my life for the best security company around. We are quarantined. They will tell us this shortly. Uh, there are a couple people who are asking the police at various times when they can get a hold of one. Uh, I'd live just across the street. Can I go home? And they said, no, you need to stay here. So, yeah, we're quarantined. Uh, bomb sniffing dogs going around checking out the vehicles. Guess where our vehicles are? Guess what? Uh, we are possibly in a terrorist situation here, which would explain why this mobile command center is driving right behind me and beside me and next to the SWAT guy in the flak jacket with the AR-15. Huh. A mobile command center. I could have reached out and touched it as it drove by. I didn't, but I could have. <laughs> I was that close. Yeah. I uh, never thought I'd see one of those outside of the movie Phantoms. And there it is. And there, the four more of them came later. <laughs> they wow. were all lined up. Uh, a police chopper flying around overhead. Uh, it's got, you know, a high-power searchlight. They're checking stuff out. So at this point, the police might be thinking, you know, there might be another assailant here. I'm pretty sure there was not. Uh, again, back to that conspiracy thing, I don't think there was another assailant. Uh, and, and if the police do, I'm sure that they're, they're on that. Uh, they've been incredibly calm and cool and efficient and, and just doing a magnificent job throughout this. So I'm sure they're on top of all of it. Right. Uh, but this is what's going on around us. And, and by the time we were, oh, I'd say no more than a half hour in, that's about the time that I started reading the doors on the police cars that are going by instead of trying to count them, because you could not count them. They're parked, there are so many of them. They are at every available sidewalk. They're parked too deep. I mean, there's one next to the curb, and there's another one parked next to the one parked at the curb, looking like chain links. down pretty much the entire length of the Aurora Mall. They were flipping everywhere. And we were watching them just bit by bit. I, I can't tell you exactly how long, another 10 or 15 minutes go by, what have you. Now out comes the yellow and black crime scene police tape. And they take that first around the theater lot, uh, right in 
front of where I'd been standing on the sidewalk. That's the first place they do it. But by that time, uh, I had already retreated just a little bit further right across the street to the Aurora Mall parking lot facing it. So another 10 feet, another 10, 20 feet. Uh, and everyone else is pretty much doing the same thing before we're told. We just recognize, say, look, these guys need more space. Give them more space. Right, right. Uh, it's like they're going to tape, but they're taping it off. You know they're going to, like, tell you to go, so you just, like, you, you to be polite. You're like, all right, sorry, all right, let me get out of here for you, buddy. That's right. Exactly. Again, i got to pat us all on the back. We all seem to understand this stuff instinctively. They didn't have to tell us anything. We're not stupid. We can see. Uh, they obviously need more room. They have a lot on their plate. Let's stay out of their way. Let them do their job. No one is bothering them. Uh, occasionally, uh, several times during the course of the evening, uh, police would come by and they would go to every single group and every single person and they would say, was anyone here in Theater 8 or 9? Was anyone here in Theater 8 or 9? Hey, theater 8 or 9? Theater 8 or 9? Uh, if you weren't, you just shook your head and stood back. Uh, if, you, if they were, they put their hand up and they'd say, over there. And uh, I happened to be standing nearby one of them and I literally was not trying to eavesdrop. I'm sure I could have picked up a great deal more if I had tried to, but I was hearing something about shooting and... Uh, people dropping. So that's already started. Uh, and I actually moved away from that conversation. I wanted to give them privacy, strangely enough. I, I felt kind of dirty listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really just wanted everyone to get done with whatever they needed to get done. And like everyone else, I want to go home. Yeah, exactly. This is like, how long into this is like an hour or something? An hour, right? Yeah, something we're, like. we're about an hour in, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, it was a full hour longer before the police actually did, and, and they kept extending the crime scene. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, first, they've got the, the tape around this parking lot. Now they take it further around the parking lot where my car is. Uh, now they're extending it all the way around the parking lot behind us and the one that we're standing in. And before we left, they had already started going all the way around the entire Aurora Mall. Wow. Um, That's a big mall, I presume. It's a big damn mall, yeah. <laughs> it's huge. I can't tell you the acreage. I'm not good at estimating that, but it, it's a fucking shopping mall. Right. It's it's huge. So they've quarantined the entire goddamn mall. Um, two hours in, that was the first time that the police actually came up to us and told us everything we were going to hear from them. What they said was, okay, uh, the area is quarantined. We need to get you guys out of here. Uh, if you could retire further back to the back of this lot next to the Aurora Mall, uh, you'll already see there are a couple paddy wagons there. Uh, we have buses on the way. RTD has been contacted. Buses will be here shortly. Please board those uh, as soon as you're able. They're going to take you to Gateway High School just around the corner about five minutes away. Uh, I happened to be fairly close to it in the meantime, and I was one of the first people. I just walked back to it. Now, let me stop you here. Did they say anything about what took place, or were they just saying no. – they just said something – they didn't. They were just like, we got to get you out of here. We need to get you out of here. They were very nice about it. They said it about the same way I'm saying it here. Okay. They did tell us, they said, your vehicles are quarantined. We do suspect that there might be bombs planted on some of the vehicles, and we want to check them out very thoroughly before those are released back to you. At which point, what's anyone going to say? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> How much time do you need? Exactly. Take longer. Take however long you want. Uh, I want to know that that vehicle is perfectly safe before I get back in it. Thank you very much. Exactly. Yeah, no kidding. Right. So I asked the only two questions that could be asked, which is, when will we be able to find out when we can get our vehicles back, uh, and how will we go about that, and how do we get home? And they said, uh, you'll be able to know tomorrow. If someone doesn't contact you, you can call police dispatch, and they will give you that information, or just watch the news. Uh, it'll be put out, and then just get a ride down there and pick up your car. It'll be okay. Uh, we asked how long. 
They said, uh, hopefully only a day. Uh, conceivably, it would be released by noon, but they did need time to take pictures from every angle and with, you know, full sunlight on it and the whole nine yards. Right, right. So right. we understood. And we're thinking, hopefully by noon tomorrow, I'm thinking five o'clock in the evening, there is a possibility that it could extend into the weekend and at worst, maybe Monday. Um, inconvenient, but again, hey, take however much time you want. Believe me, I'm not going to rush you on this. Exactly. So I went ahead and got on the paddy wagon. When we got on, they, they patted us down. Uh, no one suspected anyone of anything, and we knew that. They're doing this just by matter of course. Mm-hmm. So they patted all of us down. They put us in. Uh, we actually had a rather amusing ride, I have to say, on the way there. Uh, everyone I was with in, in the back of this paddy wagon, there I think there were six of us, maybe seven. That's how much we could fit. Um, they were all minorities. <laughs> Every single one of them, and they're all guys. So sure enough, I've got a Mexican guy sitting in front of me. And the whole ride out, he's saying, I am not happy here. <laughs> I never <laughs> expected to see the back of one of these, and I'm not happy being in it. And, and we sympathize with him and laugh, at which point I say something like, dude, I'm white, and, and I feel the same way you do. <laughs> so we're just mostly silent on the way there, but we had a few comments like that, and it uh, broke the tension a little bit. And we're counting the cars as we go by and being amazed at the further sights that we're seeing, because this is a night, I'm just, I'm kidding you not. We've been here for two hours. Uh, I swear to God, if King Kong came up over the back of the Aurora Mall to the west, and if Godzilla came up over the back of the theater to the east, I would not remotely have been surprised. I just would have said, everybody, uh, we weren't going anywhere anyway. The circus is in town. Cop a squat. Find yourself a nice, comfortable piece of concrete. Have a seat. Is there any spilled popcorn we can eat? Anyone <laughs> need any cigarettes? I got a full pack. Opera glasses. Uh, battle at it, behemoths. Any other night, I, I might find it surprising. But tonight, no. <laughs> now, was there Absolutely any... nothing will surprise me tonight. Was there any speculation in the paddy wagon about what, what the hell is going on? Like... Right before we boarded. Yeah. It was the first time that I heard anything. And that was someone standing off to the side who was on a cell phone, presumably to one of their friends. And what they said was, what it looks like we're looking at is 10 dead and one DOA. Uh, and my head whipped right around to him with a boing. That fucked me. Uh, yeah, that was the first time that, that we heard something. And this is one of those things where well, there are all kinds of people with cell phones. And we were waiting for someone because we have people with iPhones out there. They're, you know, hooking up to the Internet. <laughs> right. And what's going on? Uh, none of them had connected and gotten any information yet. The first I heard, like I said, was this guy just talking on the phone. Interestingly enough, all the information that we got uh, ahead of its official release or or anything else was correct. Uh, there were some errors in it, but it was it, they were only errors because the authorities gave them the wrong figures uh, and corrected them later after the smoke was clearing. Yeah. Uh, we were trying not to play the telephone game, and again, give us credit, no one was gossiping. Uh, as a matter of fact, we weren't really talking about it. We just all kind of recognized, look, we're obviously here for the long haul. Um, we we have the least to worry about of anyone in the world right now. The only thing we have to worry about is being bored, waiting to be processed out. Right. We are right. the safest possible place we could be. Short of a sub-vault in the Pentagon or the basement of the Kremlin, there is no safer place on the planet that we could be right now. We exactly. are in very good hands. Relax. Take it easy. We ain't going anywhere. They'll get us out of here as soon as they can. And they did. Uh, so again, that's the first I heard anything as they're getting us in the back of the paddy wagon. Uh, we get in the paddy wagon. We were the first people to uh, Gateway High School, which, like I said, is about five minutes away around the corner. Uh, I did 
Oliver back there in 1975 playing Bill Sykes the murderer. <laughs> and the irony on that was not lost on me, because sure enough, we were in the exact same space where we put that show up. We were the first people there. We were greeted by a couple of police who were very friendly. Uh, they said, just follow us. Uh, were any of you in Theater 8 or 9? said, no. Okay, fine. Um, just grab a, a chair and make yourself comfortable in that area over there. We did. Uh, it took about an hour and 15 minutes to get everybody transported from uh, the mall to Gateway High School. During that time, I'd say within about 10 minutes of our sitting down, uh, there was a woman not too far from me who had an iPhone. And she started just kind of reading out loud, not loudly, but, you know, just loud enough for anyone near her to hear. Said, um, okay, uh, officially X number wounded. I don't remember what number she gave, but it was accurate. And um, apparently 12 dead. And I said, what was your source on that? She said, nine news. It's okay. Good enough. Yeah. Uh, we still did not have any particulars. We didn't know what kind of shooter, whether there was terrorism involved, anything like that. We just, and now we've got something. We've got 12 dead and a whole bunch of wounded. By the way, I practically saw no ambulances and paramedics. I did see them. But there was such a sea of flashing red, white, and blue lights alternating a sea of them. Right. That as things were progressing, you couldn't see anything except flashing lights. <laughs> right. It's one of the reasons we're pulling back into the parking lot just to get away from all that. So it wasn't like a perp situation where you saw them driving away with this maniac in the back seat no. or anything crazy like no. that. No. And I'll tell you, I think the reason that we did not see anyone panicking and running and fleeing or blood all over them is because it happened in the back of the theater and we were in the front. My guess is that most of those people evacuated out the back quick and, uh, they either uh, ran out the back of the theater, down the hallway, and out one of the exits to the uh, north side of the building, away from us, so we didn't see them. I, I think that's what happened with most of them and why we didn't see any of that. Right. So there's probably like a whole bigger, crazier scene on the opposite side of the building. Probably. How I said you guys were kitty-cornered on the opposite side. Because that's presumably, I believe, that's where they got the guy, right? He was in yep. front. Yeah. So all, they got him in three minutes. Yeah. So the insanity is all going on over on that This side. was over in three minutes. Three minutes. By the time I saw uh, the girl who was crying out front and the guy with the tear gas in his eyes, three minutes. It was already over. Wow. Already over. He was just standing by his car out back. Uh, the guy was on a hell of a lot of Vicodin. Difficult to speculate exactly at this point. If he was a typical mass murderer, then he'd probably been depressed for a long time. Uh, they go in expecting to commit suicide. Right. Or to die. They're either going to get shot dead or they're going to die, and that's part of the game plan when they go in. Uh, a lot of what he's done does match that uh, particular M.O. Uh, he he was on a lot of Vicodin, and he was wearing state-of-the-art damn body armor, head to toe. Right, right. Well, we'll get into that maniac uh, in a little bit. Let's sort of get sure. – let's sort of wrap up, I guess, your story because you're waiting there. So, so I was thinking that they would take you, get you to the high school, process you, and get you out of there. But it sounds like they had to get you there first, then get everybody else there as well. So it's yeah, they went to everybody there. Wow. As we were arriving, they did the same thing that, as they did when I arrived. And like I said, I was the first. We were in the first six or seven people there. Uh, the buses took a lot longer to get there than the paddy wagons. During the time we're waiting, I have to say, uh, like I said, it was about an hour and fifteen minutes. Uh, we had some nice volunteers coming by and giving us bottled water. Uh, they got us some pop. Uh, I was never so glad to down a warm Pepsi in my entire life. It tasted great. <laughs> I happened to need it. I was not exactly starting to nod off. But I was kind of fatigued and tired. <laughs> so they bought me a Pepsi. I got a little caffeine, and, and that helped. Right, because you probably had a slight adrenaline rush when all this was going on at first. Oh, and yeah. then it's like, yeah. as you're waiting more and more, you get tired and everything. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I downed a whole warm Pepsi, and I was just fine. Anyway, once everybody was there, they did the same thing for everyone as they were arriving. Uh, they said, were you in Theater 8 or 9? Uh, if you were in Theater 8 or 9, they put you over to one side. If you were everyone else, they put you out where I was. Fortunately, I was everyone else. I've never been happier in my life to be late to a show or a bit player in a show, let me tell you. Uh, once everyone was there and they had them separated, they took our group, the everyone else group, and we kind of stood in two lines uh, with police standing on either side, and we just went out one at a time. Um, FBI people were standing out there with jackets on identifying them. I heard a couple of them mention they were local. We might have had some actual feds there from Washington. I think they were all just local. Like everyone else, they were friendly, they were efficient, they were courteous. Uh, they got through everything as, as quickly and effortlessly as possible and made us all feel fine. But one at a time, every single one of us went out, uh, and they had dry erase boards. There were two FBI agents sitting side by side at a folding table. Uh, and they both had dry erase boards and markers. And they would look at our driver's license, they would write down our name and write down the driver's license number. We held it up in front of us like a mugshot. They took a shot, just witness thing. Uh, just so they could identify all the witnesses. As soon as that was done, they'd dry erase it, get the next one in there. And as soon as you were done having your, your shot taken, you would talk one-on-one -on -one with one of, I'd say, about a dozen FBI officers who were there. Uh, it took less than five minutes for me to have my interview and tell them anything that I knew, which was practically nothing. Just gave them whatever information they asked for and answered their questions and told them anything that I had seen, which was really not much. And that was that. And within five minutes of that, I repeated the question of uh, what do we do to get home and all of that and said, don't worry, one of the police will take you home if you don't have someone to call. I said, cool. Um, shook hands, called it a day, and thanked him for his time and effort, as I did with absolutely every police officer that, that I dealt with. I just loved them, all of them. In less than five minutes, uh, there was a policeman ready to drive me home, and another guy came with me who was on his way to Denver along the same route. As a matter of fact, just comically, he happened to set off the uh, flashing lights at the, <laughs> the intersection. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Uh, I mean, obviously, we were in a hurry for good reason and all that, but it was kind of amusing in its own weird way. When we'd been in the back of the paddy wagon, we didn't have a whole lot to, to laugh about, but it was nice to have a couple of things here and there just to ease the tension. Before we got out of the back of the paddy wagon, after it had been long, it, it had been quiet for a while. We were all just sort of in our own thoughts and drinking it all in. And breaking the silence was the ringtone on the guy... Uh, just one away from me, uh, and his ringtone on his phone was the theme to The Godfather. So <laughs> we all laughed, and I, I was doing that. We've been captured by Paisanos, but we will be avenged. And we had just a quick laugh before we came back down to planet sober and scared and got through all the rest of this stuff. Yeah. So we, we had little moments along the way. Uh, if you've ever been in a situation like this, if you've never been in a situation like this, now you know what it's like. If you have ever been in a situation like this, you understand. You find whatever levity you can. It passes quickly. Right. But you're doing anything you can to just get through it. Everyone, no one wants to be here. Uh, we're going to get through it as quick as possible. Uh, we're all in this together. We'll make things as comfortable for you as we can and be done as quick as we can. And they did. They were very, very good at that. The thing started at exactly 1240 or exactly 1239 if you take the police report. Uh, I stepped in my front door at 440. Uh, exactly four hours later. The very first thing I did was go downstairs and set up my computer uh, so that I could email my friends, Tyler and Mel, who I had sent the email, <laughs> <laughs> saying, I'm off to the Century 16 to see Batman. Uh, I definitely wanted to get them a message before they woke up, because the first thing they would do would be check their email, uh, because it, it would be no time flat 
and got the news. And sure enough, a friend of theirs, uh, I was Toastmaster at their wedding, and uh, a friend of theirs who was their best man, Rob, uh, he called them right after they got up and said, is Bruce okay? Have you heard from Bruce? Uh, I got so many damn emails and so many phone calls over the next few days. I've literally been doing nothing except talking about this now for four days. Hmm. Nothing but. Uh, just one after another, after another, after another. Yeah, you've probably told this story countless times, I'm sure, by now. I will probably, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not done with it. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, every time I think I've covered everybody, someone else comes out of the woodwork. And, of course, the second they find out you were there, it's like, what happened? Yeah. Uh, and I don't blame them. Of course they want to hear the story. Now, you know, you're home, the whole uh, crisis, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term, that's over. And, and I, I presume at that point you're sort of also – you're connecting with your friends – but you also want to find out what the hell happened. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I went downstairs, got the computer out, and clicked the TV on immediately, went straight to Nine News, since that seemed to be where our good source of information was coming. That's our local news. And, yeah, I just uh, kind of took a look. It was, it was very soon that they had live shots from where I just left. And, in fact, some of the people that were getting up and talking on the news, I recognized. So, you know, I, I was sitting next to that guy, or I saw that guy sitting not too far from me. I know 10 years from now, uh, someone's going to walk into a place where I'm having coffee and we're both going to do that thing like, do I know you and should I ask? And one of us probably will and then we'll say, oh, yeah. Uh, and we'll both kind of quietly celebrate the fact that we're both still alive to talk about it. Yeah. It's uh, it's just, just an amazing story. I mean, I'm just stunned. Uh, like I said, I couldn't believe it when I put it all together and realized that, that not only that you were from Aurora, but that also you were probably there. And then when I found out you were there, and, and having heard the story, it's just uh Anyone who knows spooky. me well knew I was there. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you have any sort of like, you kind of uh, intimated it in a sense, where it's like you you, you realize that you locked out in a, in, in a way, you know? Absolutely. Could have gone a, a whole bunch of different directions, and you, you really got lucky on that 50, one. 50-50 chance. Uh, any number of things, if, if it happened just a slight bit different, we would not be having this conversation. I might not even be alive to have it with you. In the aftermath of all this, in the fallout of it, being there in Aurora, you know, what is I, – I, I guess it's hard to gauge the, the mood in a sense. It probably ranges from just, just agony over what happened to anger at this guy to to all, all, all sorts of feelings. But I, uh, I think it, we're kind of in shock. Yeah. A bit. I mean – Columbine is still a living memory. That was Colorado, too. We had a Chuck E. Cheese shooting. And, in fact, I hadn't even thought about that for quite a while. But when, when Tim came out and we were chatting last night, the mayor's son, uh, he brought that up because he knew people that had died in that. That guy just ran out of his appeals, and he's on death row. And that was many years ago. I don't remember exactly when that was. I think it was late 90s. And it, it's been on everyone's mind, well, what kind of sentence is this guy going to get? Are they going to give him life? Or, or apparently we've still got the death penalty. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I would not argue against the death penalty. I, I'm not going to argue that, that, that this guy isn't crazy. Yeah, he's, he's out there. He's gone. But he full well knew what he was doing. You can't tell me he was legally insane. He knew that he was going to kill a hell of a lot of people. That was his game plan. Right, right. Well, what are your thoughts on this guy? Because, I mean, I've been – I find him fascinating and not – in, in, in an infamous way, the same way you find Charles Manson fascinating or, yeah, or the Unabomber. You. you know, it's, it, he's, he's to be reviled. And to try and figure out what is in his mind, I think, is, the, is really the puzzle of all this. And, I mean, obviously you've been following this very closely, having, you know, been there and living in the city. What, you know, what do you, 
how do you how do you think this guy shakes out? What, what are your thoughts on this? This guy's a puzzle piece. Like I said, he if I wake up nights about this, I am not going to be waking up in cold sweats like a lot of the victims are going to be. I'm not going to have night terrors. I'm not afraid. I will have nights when I wake up or have trouble sleeping, and what's going to be keeping me awake thinking about this is that guy. And the only reason that that's the case is because usually I'm, I'm well acquainted with crime cases. I've known a lot of criminals. I've known a hell of a lot of people in law enforcement. I've worked security for many years. I've dealt with a lot of psychopaths and lots of different criminal types. Uh, usually I take a look at some guy, and in five minutes I can tell you exactly how he became what he became. This guy's a monster. How did he get that way? Not going to take long to find out. Someone made him that way, trust me. It happened along the way, and it'll come out. This guy I can't peg. So my initial thought, uh, he has to be just a typical mass murderer. Like I said, they're, they're usually depressed for a long period of time. And they come up with a plan. Uh, they, they just finally decide they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. The, the term going postal is exactly what you apply to these guys. Because that's what they do. They just say, you know what, I'm going to walk into whatever public place where there are a bunch of people called bang, 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 kill as many as I possibly can, then put the gun in my mouth and pow, it's done. That's part of the game plan. The end of the game is I shoot myself. The last bullet goes for me. Or they wait for the police to come kill them. Right, right. Well, that's the, uh, we talked about this, uh, Lauren and I. Lauren is a, is a, an esteemed expert on these shooting incidents, uh, beyond being, you know, the, the world's foremost cryptozoologist researcher. So, I mean. I was unaware of that. Yes. You should pick up his book, uh, The Copycat Effect. I'll be damned. I will do that. Yeah. It's uh, all about these school shootings and, and uh, these, these rage incidents, if you will, uh, and, and, uh, and how the media, you know, plays a dangerous role in all this. Um, yeah, I and, gotcha. And we talked about this, uh, because he's looked at these cases endlessly and, what he the point he made was that this guy is different in a sense that he did not want based on the body armor and based on the quick surrender that he that he wasn't interested in in, in death by cop or you know suicide by cop or 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 that uh, puzzled me too. You know, I have an answer to that. If he is a typical, I, think, I still think probably he's a typical mass murderer. Probably there there's something here we have not been told yet. It'll be a while before we hear it. This is what I think the answer is to that. He put on the body armor. He also took a lot of Vicodan, quite a substantial dose of Vicodan, before he went in, numbing the pain. He's got the body armor. My guess is that he intended to go in and die in a blaze of glory. Uh, rather than eat his gun, he was going to kill as many people as he could, wait for the police and shoot it out, yeah. and wait for them to kill him, and or shoot himself at some point. That's my guess. What happened was the Vicodan calmed him down, so that by the time he reached that point, he kind of shot whatever adrenaline he had out of his system, and he, he just kind of spent. That's just a guess. I could easily be wrong on that, but that's my guess. Hey, he is typical of a mass murderer in another regard, which is that booby-trapping of his apartment, that's much more elaborate than most of them would do. But they do try to kind of erase their entire history. Uh, and in his case, he was extending the number of people he could take out. And you got to know the police. <laughs> Dan Oates, the head of the Royal Police, got up, and they're really pissed about all that mess. Because plainly he intended to kill a hell of a lot of police. Yeah, well, that's uh, the other. That's the other great puzzle of this whole case is that if he is this insane maniac who would go through all of the all of the preparation and research and all of the work that it would take to do what he did in the apartment, this costs a lot of money too. Why I was, would he, I was curious about that? But he comes from rich parents, I guess. Yeah, and I heard, I heard today that he that he was on a grant for like twenty six thousand a year or something uh, through the 
through you know the, what, the university. I, so this is what pisses me off about this. I mean, I mean, aside from the obvious, this is what I don't get. This guy, he's tall. He's not bad looking. He has a future. He's not underprivileged. He has no disadvantages. He's already respected in his field. He's not even. He doesn't even have his damn PhD yet. He's already publishing papers that are catching the attention of professionals. He's not only on his way up and has a real place in the world, everyone is handing him a ladder to get there. He's got his choice of what direction he wants to go up. And he does this. What the hell? He had absolutely everything going for him, and he just threw it all away and murdered a shit ton of people. What? That's the puzzle. That's the thing I don't get. Like I said, usually I look at any of these guys and I can tell you how they became a monster. Right. This guy, it looks like he made himself one, and I don't get it. Now, what do you think is the motivation behind, this was kind of getting to a moment ago, why would he tell, the, the whole point of a booby trap is, to, is, is, the, is the trap. Why give it away to the police? Well, first off, they were going to, believe me, they were going to go at it carefully. And that's also, when you turn on the news and I'm checking things out, that's when I understood the bomb dogs and why they wanted to check all our vehicles. Because they've already, they got this guy right from the start, you know, they went straight to his apartment and they found that. So right then they're thinking, all right, what the hell else is he wired up? Right. He wired for sound. Uh, man, did they handle that well. They handled that extremely well. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, what was the question again, just so I get back on track? Just, it. I was under the impression he told them about the booby traps and everything. That, that also does not surprise me. Uh, funny thing about bombers, they, they usually tell you, unless they're really, really serious, and this guy's not a typical bomber, let me put it that way. Most bombers are anonymous, they don't tip things off, they set something, they let it go, and they enjoy it from a distance and they get their sexual jollies from it, just like arsons. Uh, they don't want to be known, they don't want to be seen. They remain invisible. They don't warn people. They do it and they get their jollies. If someone is warning you about it, they're going to tell you all about it. They may even be serious and have set one up, but they'll tell you all about it. It's it's weird, but they do that. Yeah, like Lauren suggested that uh, I made the comparison to the Unabomber in a sense. This guy reminds me of him in a, in a way mm-hmm. that maybe that Lauren suggested that that part of it is that he wants in his mind like the credit for the insane uh, layout of the apartment. And if it was destroyed, he would never get that credit. He wants... If he was looking for some kind of posthumous fame. Until I see something that convinced me otherwise, I think that his original game plan was probably to die in this. Uh, but either he chickened out or the Vicodin just calmed him down and, and his adrenaline was spent. That's a guess. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. Well, that raises an interesting point. You kind of left... You kind of you set me up here for, for a, a banal rant, and I'm just going to do it because uh, yeah. I've had this conversation with two different people already today. Uh I mean, I don't know, you're not on Facebook or anything, but I'm sure you're really well aware of the conspiracy community, and they are, like, all over this thing, obviously, because this is, sure. like, the biggest terrorist attack in America since 9-11. Um, whether well, at, at the moment, let's rephrase that just slightly. Uh, I believe that Dan Oates said that they have not taken terrorism off of the table. Now, that may have changed since then. I think they consider it a far realm of possibility. I guess. I mean, I use it in a more... Uh, in a last that this guy scared the shit out of everybody. Yeah, it's a terrorist attack. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I yeah, I consider it <laughs> just because he just because it wasn't politically motivated. Exactly doesn't mean that his goal really wasn't fucking just to terrorize people. Oh yeah, and and he succeeded in spades. And that went. of course, that's turned on all the all the conspiracy porn people out there, and I'm seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. 
about MK Ultra and mind control and accomplices and all kinds of stuff. And the point I keep trying to make, and I even I announced this episode impending uh, on the Facebook and. <laughs> People were asking about if we're going to get into the conspiracy aspect of it. And to me, the whole point of conspiracy, and, and I get into this really for fun more than anything, conspiracy, sure. than, than trying to take down the New World Order, which is, a, which is an exercise in futility. To me, the, the fun and interest of, of conspiracy theory is to deconstruct the official story. And the problem I have with a lot of these people out there who are, who are saying, this guy's... MK Ultra, don't you see this? It's like, folks, we don't have the official story yet. They, they just released this guy's mugshot like 48 hours ago. Yep. We are so early in this story that you can't deconstruct the official story to show where the conspiracy is. There are and, major puzzle pieces about this guy in particular that yeah. I'm waiting to emerge. So I think people, you know, in the audience here who, who may be like, well, this is all part of a agenda to to take away our guns and stuff like that, they need to take a step back and just, like, wait till the dust settles on this and, and, and you know, and then figure out if there's a conspiracy, which I personally highly doubt. If there's a I highly doubt it also. It's, it's important that I say this. This is one of the reasons I wanted to come in and talk about this. Uh, I know that the people who are listening to your program know who I am, and they know what I write. Uh, plainly, I am skeptical of a lot of government bureaus and agencies in many ways. Uh, there are also many ways in which I'm, uh, I have a great deal of confidence in them, and I am telling you all the reasons I have confidence in them right now. Uh, these people could not have handled everything more, more friendly, more efficiently, more courteously, and most importantly, with a calm, cool head. They were very, very together, and I appreciate that because it is contagious. It communicates to the rest of us, and that's what made this pretty easy to get through. Absolutely, yeah, it sounds that way. And I just think... Uh like I said, uh, if any conspiracy comes out of this, it's nefarious people taking advantage of an incident that they had no hand in creating. You know, it's, it's, you know, people using this to further their own agendas. They weren't behind it. They're just picking up a chance, opportunity to use a tragedy to advance whatever their agenda is, whether it's gun control or, you know, anti-big pharma or whatever. So yes. that's my personal opinion. I think people need to just take a step back and realize that not everything is a conspiracy. No. I think this guy, I'm interested to see if he's on any kind of medications. Uh, one thing to, to bear in mind, this guy was apparently an expert in abnormal brain chemistry. Uh, my sister and I were talking about this. She's a Yale psychologist. Uh, her immediate response was my immediate thought as well, which is people are attracted to the fields they're attracted to for a reason. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he probably knew that there was something wrong with him and he was kind of studying it himself. Yeah, it very well seems that way. I mean, it, like I said, we just don't. We're we're really in an interesting position, I guess you could say, looking at the story. It's so early; we don't know anything. They just got the computer, and all. I mean, we're, we're finding out more and more. And his behavior in in jail, from what I'm hearing now, is just growing increasingly bizarre. And I, I think he just had some kind of mental disconnect. Honestly, he could be. He could just be a straight schizophrenic. Although it's unusual, you don't usually see schizophrenics perform violent crimes of this nature. Uh, that, that's kind of uncommon. But this is the whole thing. I don't know yet. I don't know if he's a typical mass murderer, if there's something else in the mix. Maybe he's a schizophrenic. Uh, he could be one of those really rare schizophrenics who's just that violent. Uh, you don't usually see them perform something like this. They can incline toward violent crime, but if they 
lot more information on this guy. Right, right. No matter what sentence he gets, whether they give him death row or not, he's going to die in prison. <laughs> they're going to kill him. Uh, they're going to do the same thing to him they did to Jeff Dahmer. Yeah, that's the impression I get, too. I mean, they're holding him in maximum, in solitary confinement in the women's part of the prison. Which is where he's going to be for the rest of his life, until someone kills him. Yeah, so... Whether it's the state or whether it's inmates. Yeah, it's, it, this, this guy, you know, it will, like I said, I mean, we're just still finding out more and more about this guy, and, uh, personally, I just think it was just, the whole incident was someone who went off the deep end. You know, what, what triggered yeah. all that, we'll never really know, but... Did he go off because he's schizophrenic, or did he go off because he's a mass murderer? That's like the biggest question to me right now. And to me, it's, uh, it's almost unimportant. I want to know, just so I can have it nailed down. Yeah, closure and on it, this. That's right, closure, and it's one of those things where you say, okay, now that we recognize this, uh, is there a way that we can recognize this earlier in people and head it off at the pass? Yeah, obviously, that would be the ideal situation. That That's the unfortunate part, I guess, of what I say about these nefarious forces who pick up these things and, and use them for their own agenda. It's like... Talking about gun control really doesn't get to the bottom of how to stop these things. No. It, it does come largely down to a question of mental health. Uh, before I did, before I was on this show tonight, I was out having some coffee for a while, and they've got TVs on with the sound off, but they've got the, you know, you can read them. And uh, they had CNN on, and Michael Moore was giving an interview on CNN. Uh, he's a very intelligent guy. I always uh, enjoy having, I, I enjoy listening to what he has to say. I don't necessarily always agree with him. I usually do. Um, but he was talking quite a bit about this issue, and uh, to him it was less a question. He was curious about the gun control issue, but what he's more concerned about is the fact that we just have a we've had a mental health crisis in America for flipping ever, just like the rest of the healthcare crisis. We don't pay attention to this stuff. We don't catch it in advance. If you can spot something in advance, you can you can do something to help before it ever reaches this stage. Right. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I don't think. Uh... I understand why the media has to do it, but I find it, like, maddening in a sense that they keep calling him the suspect or the alleged shooter. They got the right guy. Yeah, it's pretty cut and dry, I mean. And I'll tell you what's really sick about that. Uh, I was just hearing today, because uh, this is cut and dry. This is, you give a hearing and you give a sentencing. It's about that simple. Uh, you may have a jury in there. There's not much to try. <laughs> this is over fast. This is one of those where you practically hammer the, the, the verdict and the sentence together behind the scenes and say it's done. It'll probably be a year before the trial even comes up. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah. He'll probably die in prison before the trial even comes up. You think that the the inmates are... Look, one thing I can tell you, these guys may be criminal, but they're still human beings. They've got families. They've got girlfriends. They've got kids. This guy is officially a child murderer. He murdered a six-year-old child. Prisoners don't like that. They don't like it any more than, than anyone else does, but they do something about it. They don't like these people taking up their oxygen. They get an opportunity, they take them out. Well, you know, in a sense, considering how cut and dry this is, I don't really have a problem with it. Is uh, Well, it's like the know. Dahmer case. Everyone knew that was what was going to happen to Dahmer when he got sentenced. One of two things was going to happen. He was going to succeed in a suicide attempt one way or another, and he did try. Uh, or the inmates were going to kill him. Well, guess what? Inmates killed him. Yeah. What's the? Is there any sort of like scuttlebutt from the locals, or is it all just sort of like discussion on what may have been going on in this guy's head and really caused all this? Is that just sort of all endless speculation until you find out more? Interestingly, we don't talk about him a whole lot. We, we mentioned about the same things that we just talked about. Appropriately, the focus has been on the victims. I do want to see them put a plaque up at the theater. I want to see them keep the theater open and put a plaque up there. Uh, I'm getting to know the victims, uh, and there are some very heart-wrenching stories on there, but I'm glad I'm getting to know them. I think that's important. 
as for this guy, we can learn everything we need to learn over his grave. It doesn't matter whether he's alive or not. If he did cooperate with us, it wouldn't matter. We can't rely on him. That's we true. Can put together, we can put it all together ourselves. That's absolutely true. Yeah, well, we spend enough time talking about this fucking scumbag anyway, so. Right. It's just a terrible thing that happened. I've heard a lot of sort of, uh, I wouldn't call it conspiratorial talk, but I'm sure that they've certainly latched onto it. But yeah, as a native Coloradan, what, what do you think it is that, is it just a, just sheer bad luck that, that your state seems to have been afflicted with these now two, uh, and you mentioned the Chuck E. Cheese one, but we're talking Three about. Three if you include Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, but definitely two, you know, uh, seriously notorious, uh, grisly shootings. The Columbine thing, uh, this is where I'll meet the conspiracy theorists halfway. I, I'm not fully convinced that there wasn't something else behind Columbine. Uh, and there's a good place where you can look to Michael Moore, actually, for information on that. Uh, he called attention to a few details that are quite curious. Uh, I don't know that that is the case. I, I do know we don't, we still don't know everything about Columbine, and we're never going to. Every now and then, like I said, I've worked security a long time. Every now and then, a guy in the office would say something about Columbine that I didn't know. <laughs> and whenever they did, I would get the information from them, and I'd, I would say, I've never heard that. Should it stay that way? And they said, if you haven't heard it, yeah, it should probably stay that way. So we just don't talk about it. I'm tempted to, I, I don't want you to tell tales out of school, but I'm perplexed by what you think we're missing from that story. Additional accomplices that got away or... or well, most of what it is, is the, the stuff you're bringing up, we know accomplices got away. Yeah. We know they got away. Uh, and one of those things, at the time I found out about it, uh, it, it was secret, but it isn't now, and that's that there were bombs involved. That they, that they had bombs in the school and everything? That, that whole stuff with the propane tanks and everything? Yeah, I mean, the, that became public news. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. So you had, you had heard it through the grapevine, and then it, then it kind of came out to the public. It eventually came out, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very fascinating case. We've had uh, people on to talk about it because it's, uh, it's a very uh, intriguing story. But like you said, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of it because there's a lot of cover-your-ass situation involved, I think, with that too now. Oh, the, the political game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a comedy. Circus in town, guys. Enjoy. Nothing we can do about it. But, yeah, that, that little comedy is going to play out for a while. So at the end of the day, you uh, you know, you were right there on the at ground zero on this amazing story. What's your yep. what's your overall thoughts on it? Just how lucky well, you are that you made it through, and that you know you just kind of had a weird serendipitous front row seat to history in a sense. I'm a lucky son of a bitch. I had the uh, the lucky front row seat, exactly like you just said. Could not have been more fortunate. And every time I see the victims, that crosses my mind. They have got their entire lives that they have to live with this every day. I'm pretty much done with it. I have to tell this story a few more times, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and I already can go out and live my life, shop for my groceries, go out for coffee. I can go to the movie, and I will, as soon as I'm able. I'm not afraid. I don't have to be. These people will never be able to say that. Uh, their road to physical recovery and emotional recovery is going to be extremely difficult. Absolutely. You can only really wish them the best and hope that they they find peace. I guess you could say, uh, yeah. you know, out of all this, it's 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 so it's just tragic, really, that this could happen. And, yeah. and it really hits home to me. I was saying to somebody at work, uh, and I'm not scared. You know, I'm not afraid to go to the movies or or go to the mall or whatever. But I think the reason why this story has resonated so much with people, it's like 
I haven't been in a school in like 15 years. I don't need to worry about getting killed in a school shooting. And I'll go to the post office, and I'm not on an army base or anything, but I do go to the movies. And this this could happen in any town anywhere, and that, oh, yeah. that's why everybody's really kind of shaken up by this. Of course, that's that's the part that makes actual terrorism, because no matter what, it's going to scare the shit out of everybody. Yeah, exactly. It could happen any time, anywhere. But that's always been the case. That was the case before 9-11. It's been the case since 9-11. It's always been the case. Exactly. You just got to live your life and, and hope Don't let it rule you. Exactly. Exactly. I haven't. I don't have a gun, and I'm not going to go out and buy one. Yeah. I don't think... Is there is there anything else to say? I mean, I feel like we've uh, kind of covered it all. I mean, I think that... Uh, you know, obviously, this was a terrible tragedy, and and you hope that you just hope that we don't see another one of these for a long, long time. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I think we pretty well covered it. Uh, I don't feel like there's anything that's unsaid. Let's put it that way. What I really the, the best parting note that I can give on any of this is yet again to say how very, very impressed I am with absolutely everyone who has dealt with this. I'm impressed with the mayor of Aurora. I'm impressed with our governor. Uh, the president came out and has, has done his best. Uh, Kristen Bale came out and has been visiting the victims, which I, I think is very considerate. I don't think I don't think it had anything to do with the photo op or anything like that. I think it's genuine. You know, you guys came to see my movie and look what the fuck you got. Yeah. Uh, so I think everyone. There's been an outpouring of affection for all of these people and of sympathy, and uh, I'm glad. That's where everyone's attention needs to be. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. I am just fine. Uh, keep your attention where it needs to be. Keep your thoughts and prayers on the victims and their survivors in, uh, in their extremely trying time of need. Absolutely. On that note, I guess we'll call it an evening here, Bruce. Uh, just because we had you on for this unfortunate uh, series of events, that doesn't mean that that's the end of Ruck's Giving. So we'll be talking to you again in November and uh, talking about hopefully some lighter fare. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it'll be much nicer to, to talk to you under better circumstances, yes. Yes. It's always, it is always a pleasure. Getting into uh, Architects of the Underworld and uh, Hollywood versus the Aliens and all of the uh, the strange realm of uh, ETs and UFOs. So hopefully uh, by that time we'll all be uh, laughing a little easier and, and uh, you know, never forgetting about this, but hopefully uh, getting on with our lives. We'll at least have it in perspective, and if no one's gotten over it, it'll at least be behind us, yeah. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough for, for doing this. I mean, I know that you've said you've told the story to so many people, but now you're sharing it with, like, tens of thousands of people. And as I said at the beginning of the show, watching the coverage on TV, you you, you know, you feel for these people, obviously, um, but there's a disconnect because you don't really know any of them. But the the and and obviously, as we said here, you know, you were well out of harm's way. Yeah. But but the folks who listen to the show know you, and they and they know uh, from having listened to you what you're all about. So I think it, it has an invaluable perspective, not just to what it was like as the events unfolded there uh, in the parking lot and everything, but just in that sense, I consider it a public service, which is why I wanted to do it. Uh, I did want to let everyone know I'm not afraid. I don't think anyone else should be. Uh, go about your lives. This is exactly what Governor Hickenlooper has been saying and what Mayor Hogan has been saying and everyone else has been saying. Continue about your lives. Enjoy your lives. Don't let one aberrant, crazy guy mess up your life the way he's messed up these people's lives. Exactly. All right. On that note, thanks again, Bruce, and we'll be talking to you in a few months, buddy. Absolutely. Look forward to it. 
Thus concludes the Bruce Rucks segment of the program and altogether wraps up this edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to Bruce Rucks and Lauren Coleman for coming back on the program on extremely short notice and certainly under some very trying circumstances. I want to once again mention Lauren Coleman's book, The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Triggered the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines. In light of the events of this past week, my friends, this is a must-read book. Go out and get your hands on The Copycat Effect. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback, and we've got three emails in the mailbag, so let's just dive on in. The first one comes from Richard, no hometown listed, here's what he has to say. I want to touch base and tell you what a great show you have. I've been a fan of yours for years. This Aurora, Colorado thing with the Dark Knight shooter is disturbing. I was wondering if you were ever able to reconnect to the Columbine guy, I bet he could add to the discussion. Richard, no hometown listed. Thank you for writing in, Richard. I presume that you must have missed our big 200th episode a few weeks back where we featured the triumphant return of William Zabel. I wanted to highlight your email for a number of reasons. First of all, once I announced that we were doing the Aurora, Colorado shooting coverage here on the program, I got a number of requests from folks on Facebook asking that we bring William Zabel back on to talk about what is likely his conspiracy theories surrounding the event. I have definitely spoken to William Zabel via email, and he is certainly skeptical about the events in Aurora last week. Nonetheless, I purposely decided not to bring William back on the show here for this specific edition of BOA Audio. The reason for that is really twofold. The first is that given that we are a mere eight days removed from the shooting, I felt like it would be a disservice to the victims of the event to start getting into, as I said at the beginning of the show, hyperbolic conspiracy theories. Beyond that, much like I discussed with Bruce just now on the show here, to put forward a conspiracy theory, in my opinion, really does not hold water at this time. We simply do not know all of the facts or nearly a fraction of the facts surrounding what happened last week. As I sit here right now, I am looking at CNN.com and they've got breaking news that James Holmes was seeing a psychiatrist at the University of Colorado. That ties into the news of the package that he sent. That news, of course, came out this past Wednesday. The point I'm trying to make here is I spoke with Lauren Coleman on Monday I spoke with Bruce Rucks on Wednesday, and all week we've been seeing a trickling of details surrounding this story that really makes deconstructing the official story an impossibility. To take that point one step further, and I'm going to quote here from the article, the prosecution is saying that media leaks by government officials in these news organizations of the past week have been fabricated. So we don't even know exactly what's true and what's rumor. 
We don't know what's fiction and what is fact. So for me to bring on a guest that would expound upon a conspiracy theory that may very well be based on these fabricated news stories would be a disservice to the BOA Audio listeners. As I said at the very beginning of the show, there is a time and a place for conspiracy discussion surrounding the Aurora shootings. The place is certainly here on BOA Audio. Unfortunately, my friends, the time has not yet arrived for that discussion. All I'm going to ask you folks out there is to stop, take a breath, and wait for the facts to come in. We will get more information as time goes on, and then from there, we can take a clearer look at what happened that evening, as well as the events preceding it. Now, let's move on to some lighter emails here. The next one comes from Jason, also no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Have you considered the idea of having game designer, conspiracy historian, and Lovecraftiana scholar Ken Height on as a guest? Ken is a funny, hyper-intelligent guy, an excellent conversationalist, and a general expert on high weirdness. His suppressed transmission columns for Pyramid Magazine are legendary amongst gamers. You will not be disappointed. Jason. P.S. Love the show. Learned about you from the Anomalist website two seasons ago, and I've been a fan ever since. Keep up the good work, and don't let the turkeys get you down. Thank you for writing in, Jason. Thank you for your high praise regarding the program. I am truly humbled. Big shout out to Anomalist.com. They have been a supporter of Been All of America since the very beginning, and I am really happy that you mentioned them here in the email. And, of course, Jason, do not worry, I never let the turkeys get me down. With regards to Ken Height, I'll be honest, this is a name that is new to me, but I will look into his stuff. Personally, I'm not a big Lovecraft fan, although I say that as someone who's never read any of his stuff. So I don't even, I don't even know how I would exactly say that, but I'm, I'm unaware really, of the work of Lovecraft, for the most part. Nonetheless, I am always interested in conspiracy history and high weirdness, so I will put Ken Height on the BOA audio radar, and hopefully in the future, you'll be hearing from him on the program. Final email this week comes from Greg, also no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. Thanks for presenting such a great show. I've only recently become a listener to BOA and really enjoy the wide range of guests and topics you cover. I can't help but think, though, because of its format, that BOA is a global broadcast and, as such, could reflect a more international lineup. As an example, an Argentinian friend of mine recently expressed that they regard UFOs as nothing out of their usual, everyday experience. They are quite common, in fact, to them. So maybe there could be a treasure trove of experience to be found just in this one location alone. Not to mention how fascinating it could be to examine the mindset of a culture that is accepting of such things, rather than excluding it, if that is the case. Anyhow, just an idea. Thanks again, and keep up the great work. Looking forward to listening in the future. Regards, Greg. Thank you for writing in, Greg. You picked a very ideal time to write in, actually, because 
in honor of the opening ceremonies here of the 2012 London Summer Olympics, BOA Audio has put together a compendium of all of our international episodes. That's linked up at the BOA Facebook page, and it features 15 guests hailing from 12 different countries. So we have been covering the international scene really since the inception of BOA Audio. I'm going to have to pass this linkage along to you, Greg, because there are tons of different guests from all over the world talking about mostly the UFO scene in their countries. I'm looking at the page right now. we got Gildas Bourdais from France, Christophe Lowe from South Africa, Klaus Svan from Sweden, Farah Yurdazu talking about Turkish esoterica, Ola Yona Brena from Norway, Paul Stonehill talking about Soviet ufology, and a whole bunch more. And as I said, the linkage is at the BOA Facebook page, but if you're listening to this and you don't want to go through all the hassle, just head on over to banalofamerica.com, then type in slash B-O-A-A-O, as in B-O-A Audio Olympics. And that will give you access to the page that highlights the many international guests we have featured here on the program. With that said, though, Greg, I am definitely interested in continuing to expand the international scope of BOA audio. I will certainly look into the UFO scene in Argentina. I've been interested in taking a serious look at South American ufology for quite some time because I understand it is very open down there with regards to the UFO phenomenon. So stay tuned because I am sure we will be featuring a plethora more international guests as the weeks, months, and years go by on the program. And on that note, we will close up the BOA Audio Listener Feedback Mailbag this week. Big thanks to Richard, Jason, and Greg for submitting their correspondences for this segment. If you would like to be a part of future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, here are the ways you can do so. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, ofamerica.com, and click the contact button. The third big method, of course, is to join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S, ofe.com or just head on over to BOA and click the forum button. Lots of great discussion going on there with regards to the world of esoterica and the paranormal as well as pop culture and there is a fantastic community of posters at the US of E. Come on over, it is BOA's paranormal playground, the US of E. Join in on the fun. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, so just punch in B-I-N-N-A-L-L, and I will pop right up on the search engine. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. Beyond that, be sure to like Banal of America on Facebook. This international compendium that we just posted... 
I made sure to post it at the BOA Facebook page first and foremost. So for all the folks that have liked us on Facebook, they got first access to that page before the rest of the BOA listeners proper. That's hopefully the start of more and more exclusive content for the folks who like us on Facebook. I will continue to try and do some fresh and interesting stuff for the people who have gone out of their way to like us on Facebook. Those are all the means to get in touch with me. Send me your thoughts, not just on this episode, but BOA audio and the season as a whole so far, as well as your guest suggestions, your suggestions for the program in general, and any thoughts you may have that you'd like to share with the BOA audio listeners. Up next, please allow me to once again thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. Coming up at BOA in the next few weeks, we've got an all-new Shadow of the Shinigami from Marla Pena. We've got a new Fortean Ramblings by Tony Morrill. Regan Lee's got a new Trickster's Realm for us, and Richard Thomas hopes to return with another edition of sci-fi worlds. We say week in and week out, my friends, but it is the truth if you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Benal of America, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Normally now would be the time in the program where I would take my hat off and pass it around and ask for donations. But honestly, I'd feel kind of dirty doing that, given the content and subject matter of this edition of the program. So, in lieu of donations to Banal of America this week, I encourage and suggest that folks out there dig into their pockets a little bit and help the Aurora victims. On the next edition of BOA Audio, we return to our regularly scheduled programming with longtime friend of the program, the crackpot historian himself, Adam Go Rightly, as we discuss his new book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. Given that I have been absolutely swamped trying to put together this breaking news edition of BOA Audio, I have yet to sit down and edit the upcoming Adam Go Rightly conversation. But Based on my recollections of that interview and based on my many conversations with Adam Gorelli over the years, I can assure you that it will be packed with insights, laughs, and certainly some strange discussion as the crackpot historian holds court once again on BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks to Lauren Coleman and Bruce Rux for returning to the program. Big thanks to Richard, Jason, and Greg for their emails, which were featured on this week's BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And, of course, enormous thanks to all you guys out there, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners. Thank you for your support of this program. I know that this week's edition of the show was a bit of a downer. I know that it was kind of dark and a bit sad and definitely something that we do not want to feature 
week in and week out on the show. But I felt, much like Bruce said, that this was a public service edition of the show. And I thank you for tuning in and supporting BOA Audio. Thank you once again for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.